Hey, my friends, it's Scott. I'm back. I got another podcast. I hope you've enjoyed these so far. I know it's not blowing up. I'm not some big nationwide sensation or anything like that, but I'm having a great time. And the purpose of the podcast, I always get people ask me, so what's your podcast about? Well, it's about people and things that interest me. And so you'll have me sitting down with people that typically mostly my friends, people I know, or maybe I've met somebody and I've talked to them for a little bit. They've got an interesting story. Uh, Matter of fact, today, there was a, a young lady who's Facebook friends of mine because of Sounds of Summer and things like that. And we have some mutual friends. But she was sharing that today's an anniversary of a major important thing that took place in her life. So I reached out to her today. Haven't heard back from her, but hopefully she'll get back to me and maybe she'll come on and share her story as well. It's a beautiful day here in Southeast Tennessee. Actually, I got up this morning. The weather was warm, which is weird for October, right? Kind of weird, but I like it you know me, I like heat. Ran down to the local coffee shop, grabbed some coffee, and then went to do this interview that I'm about to play for you right now. This is uh, with a lady named Kelly Kaus. I met Kelly just about two years ago, maybe a year and a half. And it was the whole Pigfoot thing. We'll talk about that. And if you listen to all my episodes, the first episode was with Eric Morrow, and that's how I met him as well, was doing Pigfoot. Um. Her and I met at the local library. Now, if you're a podcaster and you're wanting to start doing interviews instead of monologues or instead of just doing things over Skype or the phone, you want to do a one-on-one sit down with people, the challenge you have is finding a studio location because not all of us have enough money to go out and set up a studio, right? So what I've learned is if I contact my local library, I can ask them for a room and they'll let they'll reserve a room, usually a meeting room. You can go in there and set up for a couple hours or maybe just going to do 30 minutes. And it's a nice, comfortable location to sit down with somebody. Instead of you having to go to their home or them having to come to your home, it's a cool place. Now, one of the things I'm thinking about doing is doing an interview in maybe a coffee shop. I'm kind of curious what the ambiance would be. You know, hear the people buzzing back and forth behind you, the glasses clinking. So we'll see how that goes. But let's get to today's episode. So today is with Kelly House. Again, I met her a year and a half ago. Her and her husband, Randy, have a local business here in town. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And they also have seven children. Can you believe that? Kelly's a homeschooler. She uh, has taught all of her children. And we talk a lot in depth about homeschooling. Hopefully we dispel a lot of the myths. And, and you learn a few things about it as well. She's got an interesting background. They... They were living in Colorado, just outside of Denver, and decided, hey, we want a life change. And in doing so, they moved to Athens. It's, it's crazy, I know, but they took the leap and they moved to Athens. So ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Kelly Kaus. So no pictures? No pictures. No pictures. Well, i got to find some sort of cover art. I'll find you something. you find me some cover art. The uh, What was it you were saying when we were doing the sound check? You said something about, this is so weird. What, hearing your own voice? Yes. I find that a lot of people find that weird. Why is that? I mean, you talk all day. Because I think you just sound different. And um, you don't expect to sound the way, like when I hear myself um, on a recording... 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound the way it does when, you know, in my head when I'm talking. So, and I don't know if that sounds good or, you know, what other people hear. There's actually science to that, right? Because your head, your, your voice is resonating inside your head. And so you hear one thing mm-hmm. and somebody else hears something. Well, it's not that they hear something different. It just sounds differently to you. And then when you hear right. it played back, you're like, oh my God, that's, is that me? Yeah, it is, it's different. My mother always said, like when we were in high school, my sister and I, we'd call home for something. Of course, this is before cell phones. And, <laughs> and so we'd have to go to the administration office, you know, and ask if we can call home. And um, she would, I would say, Mom. And she'd have no clue. Is this Katie or is this Kelly? Your own mother. <laughs> my own mother. Because <laughs> on the telephone, apparently we sound the same. Apparently, right. So that's so weird, too, is I don't think my kids would understand what it means to go to the office and ask to mm-hmm. use the phone. Right. Because and, and my mother would always say, like, if we're out somewhere as teenagers and we, we need to call, she'd go, just go up and ask to use the courtesy phone, like at a department store or something. Oh, yeah. You know. I always again, just had to carry, well, for a long time I had to carry dimes. Uh-huh. And then it was quarters because it went up. Right. Right. <laughs> and then it was calling cards. Yes. Right. We were calling cards. And oh, pagers. Randy had a pager. I never had a pager. A lot of my friends did. I never had a pager. I always felt, I don't know, I just never had one. Yeah, he had um, He had a pager when we first met. And so, um, again, before we, you know, had the bricks for cell phones, the analogs. So when we'd go out on a date, that would be my mother's way of contacting, you know, us. And so she would page if she needed something or just even just wanted to, you know, just to page for the sake of paging. Yeah. And then um, if I wasn't able to get back with her in probably about 15 minutes, even that meant like stopping at a gas station or what have you to use the phone, then she'd be paging again. And pretty soon, it's like, I'm either going to get in trouble. Or, or, or that page is going to go off all night. <laughs> or no, Yeah, and then I'm going to hear about it. You know, like, well, how could you not find a phone? So what years was this? Late 90s. Late 90s? Mm-hmm. Late or early? L- late, because late. Okay, um, okay. we met in January of 97 when I was a senior. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how did you meet? At a bowling alley. At a bowling alley? Yes. That's so cool. Yes. And, uh... He just come... So I don't see Randy just walking up and dropping some slick line. (laughs) No, but he said he lost his voice cheering for me that night. Oh, so you're on a bowling team. Well, okay, so actually how how it all worked was I would go with my um, sister and our friends. We were only two years apart in high school, and we're... 4-H and FFA and cheerleaders together and everything. Right. So we tend to run with the same crowd in small town. Um, and this is where? Brighton, Colorado. Brighton. So where's Brighton in relation to Denver? It's um, it's going to be northeast of Denver. Of course, now with the massive growth, it's all just kind of one great big suburb. But so it's that the, close to Denver? It, it is, yeah, now. Again, because of the growth. Okay. Um, but back when we were kids all growing up, it actually was its own separate town, like like how Athens is, uh-huh. is separate town. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's just all mushed. Um, but yeah, we so we would all run in the same crowds in high school. We um, being you and Randy and well, me and my sister and our friends and everything. Okay. Randy's five years older than me, so okay. he graduated in '92, and I was in seventh grade when he graduated. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Because I was in junior high, you know, when he was graduating. Um, but the my sister's husband, uh, his older brother, 
was Randy's, uh, one of his best friends. In fact, he was our best man at the wedding. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so we just happened to meet one night. We'd go, go bowling on Saturday nights um, down in the Denver metro area as a group. Um, they'd have the Moonlight Madness Bowling. Uh, and so we could go and hang out as, you know, teenagers and, and young adults. And um, I'm going with my sister, and she just had gotten married and everything. So I was glad to go um, and just have a good time. Well, one night, I actually wasn't planning on going. I, We'd been shopping all day with my mom and hanging out, and everybody's, the crowd's going to go bowling again, and I didn't feel like going. But it's kind of strange. My mother talked me into it, and she said, I'll do your hair for you, make it, you know, you should go, go have fun. And it just happened to be that that one night, Randy went with Doug, his best friend, um, my brother-in-law's older brother, and he'd never gone before at least with our group, he'd, he'd go bowling on his own, but never with our group. And he just happened to go that night. So um, kind of like your other guest, Angela Wilson. Yeah. You know, the, I think that there's a lot to that. Oh, the, 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 the what she call it, uh, sympathetic magic. Yeah, this, yeah, some of that, the teachings with that. I, I do believe that there's a lot. I'm planning on having there. her back on. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to her. But so, yeah, so that's how we met. Well, I can get your contact. Well, she's on Facebook, so we can certainly hook you up that way. But uh, I'm I'm bringing her back on for Halloween. Oh, fun! <laughs> and I'm also trying to get a ghost hunter. That'd be fun. Right. I don't know what to believe about that, but um, we'll see how that goes. The so, do you think it was sympathetic magic that Randy kind of showed up, or do you think Doug was kind of no, working I, in the background here? No, um, I I think it would be. Something like what she talked about with that sympathetic, um, you know, magic. So something, whatever you want to call it. You know, I'm sure different um, face or what have you call it different things. But I do believe that it was um, in the workings, you know. I think you and I, meet. with our uh, faith backgrounds, because they're very similar, would be uh, uh, divine providence. Yes. Is maybe mm-hmm. what we'd refer to it Right. Kind of like a Presbyterian type of thought. Right. But. <laughs> right. A divine providence type of thing that the divine was working or. or... Yes. And, and I, your fate. <laughs> yeah, and I have I struggle with that, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll tell you what I struggle with: the idea that the divine or God is up there saying, "Okay, I'm gonna put these two together." Mm-hmm. I, I got problems with, and the reason is, what if, um, what if one of these two decides I don't want to go that way because you have free mm-hmm. will, right? And I'm gonna go with this person. Mm-hmm. Well, now I've messed up this divine plan between mm-hmm. these two and you've gone with this other person that I had selected to go over here and I right. messed up. Or I'd... somebody passes away. I think, um, my answer not being a, necessarily a trained theologian right. <laughs> from seminary, I think, uh, to me, it's, it's not so much that, uh, God is up somewhere in the heavens, uh, moving people around like chess pieces. It's more just that maybe he it being all knowing, just already knows the path that everybody will take. Um, so it's almost like you, you can see, um, there's a poem I've read before, uh, that is, I think it's called the tapestry or something to that. Sounds effect. familiar. Yes. Where underneath we can't see, like we can see the bits and pieces. If you look on the, on the bottom side of a tapestry, but God's at the top and he can see the finished product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you're kind of going through life and, and you don't necessarily see all the bits and pieces and how it comes together. But um, when you get to the other side, wherever that is, then you can look down and you see 
see how the whole thing came together as a finished product. That's something similar to Angela and I talked about, that God's outside of space and time. Mm -hmm. For example, parades coming by, and right. he sees the beginning and the end of the parade, but you're down on the street, and you just see what's right here. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, you go to the bowling alley. you got this divine providence intervention mm -hmm. working out. Uh, you're bowling. Randy's cheering. Well, yeah, and uh, and the funny thing is, is that he he thought that uh, I was already with somebody that night because I walked in with my uncle, who's ten years older than me. Okay. And uh, and he moved to Colorado. He had gone through a divorce, and he had his two little girls, and so he was staying with um, with my family at the time while he was getting back on his feet. My mom was taking care of the girls, and. So, um, he, he drove me in and of course we, you know, I go chopping in there, you know, yeah. <laughs> high school girl, like I said, like, you know, captain of the cheerleaders and on football or not football, but FFA and everything. So I'm just having fun living life. And I go tromping in there through the doors of the bowling alley with my uncle in tow. Um, and apparently Randy said later that he just assumed that we were together as a couple. Uh, but well, you can understand that. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, when you get to I mean, to it's not like your age, uncle looked like he was, like, really, really old. Oh, and no. Was... And he would have only been 27 at the time. Exactly. So when you get to be that age, you can, you know, you can't really tell people's ages that well. And so he just, you know, kind of made that assumption. But apparently pretty quickly it was realized that, no, he's a family member. But so uh, Randy... Randy said, yeah, that he, he was <laughs> cheering. And, and I guess he, he was a very introverted person. No. You wouldn't. <laughs> and, well, and you know what's funny is that people who know him nowadays, he's. We've actually reversed roles a lot of ways. I've become more shy, and withdrawn to not wanting to talk to people, okay. meet people. Uh, whereas with him in the business, he's out. He talks to people all the time. He's very good with, um, j just how he handles folks and being caring, and you know. And so we've kind of reversed roles. But back when we met. Mm -hmm. He was, he could like lose himself in his ball cap. He was a twig. He was a tall twig, mm -hmm. wore clothes that didn't quite fit right. Um, and when we got together, he just slowly started to come out of his shell. But yeah, we, um, we all decided we we're going to go to the village inn after we got done, which is, they don't have those out here. I remember, I know what that is, but... Well, they're like... I've um, heard that name. I don't know what it is. Well, it's it's a breakfast joint. It's like, 24, it's like Denny's or Perkins, which, again, they're kind of hard to find out here, too. Um, I'm trying to think of something that would be an equivalent to that. Maybe a Shoney's? Like an IHOP? An IHOP or a Shoney's. Yeah. Uh, in the Northwest, we had Denny's. We had... Uh, what's that? Sherry's. Okay, yeah. And uh, IHOP would probably be the closest mm -hmm. um, similarity restaurant out here, which they also have in Colorado, too. But yeah, so we, we all went there, sat around a big table because you, you got to go bowl and then you got to go eat something. Right. You know, and it was like midnight. <laughs> and we're not causing any trouble. We're just out having fun, you know. Well, that's what a lot of the kids, my kids would do. They'd go out and do whatever they're doing. And then everything else that they could do was closing. Mm -hmm. But Sherry's was 24 hours. So they go there and hang out to two or three in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe have fries and milkshake and stuff. So yeah, we sat together at the table, and um, he he bought me a strawberry milkshake, mm. and and there you go, and it was sealed in fate. But that was it. <laughs> Sold. Six, six weeks later, we're engaged. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Six weeks later. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's been how many years? Twenty. 20. Well, twenty-one. I mean, well, we've been married for twenty years. Okay. Um, so how soon after being engaged were you married? We got engaged 
about March of 97 when I was still in high school. So this happened in 97, right? Yes. We, we met in January. So engaged in March. was engaged by the middle of March. And then um, I graduated in June 97. And the same day, June 7th of 98, I got married. So graduated June 7th, 97. Got married June 7th, 1998. Wow. <laughs> so. Congratulations. So uh, how did he ask? What's that love story? Uh, <laughs> well, um, not much to it. We were <laughs> we were driving driving down the highway, coming back from Denver. I don't know. If it, was, it might have been bowling. I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows? A movie. It might have been a movie. But we were just coming back home and um, driving up the road. And he just we were talking about stuff. And he just came out with, well, you know, you want to get married? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... So no, there was no romantic, you know, proposals where you're like on your knees. Sometimes I regret so that. So what was but... your response? Like, yeah. I, I don't remember. He said, I said, okay. <laughs> well, you must have. We must have. We went home and, you know, and told my, my mom and dad, I'm like, hey, we're getting married, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and my mom got married when she was 16 and my dad was 18. So I guess they couldn't really say anything. But, you know, it's, and, and Randy, we, we both grew up in the same town, had houses in the same town. Um, but as soon as we met, uh, he practically lived at our house. I mean, he would go mm-hmm. home to sleep and, and go to work. But, you know, other than that, he was at our house and he ate dinners and everything. I mean, he, he, he just... Yeah, he was there all the time. He was there. So like when I say we, we were going home, it was we were going back to my house mm-hmm. with my folks and everything. But... um yeah. So <laughs> I but we would we would have long conversations. A lot of times when we were on dates, we would just drive around and talk about life and yeah. fundamentals and um I just, you know, kind of like kind of like how we're doing now where you just the conversation just flows and you find out how much you have in common. Um you want the same things out of life or you have the same backgrounds essentially. So now you said something earlier and I meant to ask you you said something about how your mom uh, allowed you to go. Did you come from a very conservative, well, type of upbringing, or well, I mean, and did Randy or? I well, I don't know. I just think we we're pretty normal for the times. I mean, some people. I guess it depends on who you ask. I guess it depends on how you define conservative. Conservative, um, Christian home, but not. And we were raised Lutheran. My dad's a non-practicing Catholic, and Randy's actually from a Catholic family too, but. Um, so we hold those Christian principles, um, mm-hmm. and we were always, you know, just a good family, good kids and everything. But I, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. We had uh, the youth director from the same church, our Lutheran church in town, lived across the street from us. They thought we were heathens. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, um, no. <laughs> so I guess it defines conservative, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they did. I mean, it was definitely a judgmental situation. And um, we would we would enjoy, you know, celebrating Halloween and, and going out for that. And we were allowed to go to prom and, you know, do all these kind of things. And um, we had Missouri Sin the Lutherans. It's a lot of times it's... You, Kids are told you can't date until you're at least 16 or 18. Um, you're not, you can't go to dances. You can't do a lot of that kind of stuff because, you know, we don't want something, you know, bad circumstance to happen. Right. Like kids doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, my parents didn't have a problem with that. Not because they didn't care. It's just because I, I guess we were just They get married at 16 and 18. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> like, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. worked out for us. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I guess, how you look at things. Yeah, well, I was, I was wondering, so how do you pronounce, uh, your, on Facebook, you have Kelly... Cloberdance. Cloberdance, and mm-hmm. that's Klaus. 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 Mm-hmm. Kelly Cloberdance Klaus. What's the origin of those names? Um, Klaus is German. Okay, that I, I was guessing. Yes, and Cloberdance is um, German from Russia. German from Russia. Okay. And my sister's actually been doing a lot of the genealogy research lately and um, been finding out a bunch of our history, uh, mostly Russian. Mm-hmm. So um, I can I can say that I've been colluding with the Russians and helping Donald Trump. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Conspiracy. Uh, yes, conspiracy. Just kidding. <laughs> the, uh, has she found out when, when the families migrated here? Yes, it was uh, right about the time. It was right before um, uh, the Soviets. I, I'm going to probably get this wrong. I don't know the details of that history as well as she does. But they were being sent off to the gulags. Um, my, wow. my great grandmother who came, I was, think it was right about, it was right before everything happened. So it would have been in the teens sometime. Um, with, so anybody who knows the Soviet history better, you know, or the Russian history better, it was when the revolution was happening and, um, pretty much they, they closed up, you know, the country. So when, when communism was taking hold. Right. Okay. And so my great grandmother and her boyfriend, I believe it was at the time, they got out right before then. And they tried to get their brothers, you know, her brothers, sisters go, her parents, and they wouldn't go. Some did, some left, came to America with them. Um, my great, great grandparents, her parents wouldn't go. They, they just, they didn't feel comfortable, I guess you could say. Maybe they didn't believe that it was going to get as bad as it did. Um, shortly after they left, they were, um, either killed or sent to the gulags, never to be seen or heard from again. I can't imagine, and I don't think people today, that's the downside of us not talking a lot about the history Mm -hmm. of the tragedies that took place in the 20th century. Right. And when I hear people talk about, you know, socialism and the benefits and all this other stuff, I think, do you guys not understand the history of what actually took place when what you're talking about was actually done? Yeah, exactly. Oh, but we can do it better. Well, you know what, dummy, they thought they could do it better too. And they're still trying in Venezuela. Right. And people are dying. Yes. And I just don't, I don't understand why that's not beat into people's heads, but I can't imagine saying, mom, we got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. This is taking place. I'm taking my family and I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And her saying, no, 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 no. And then staying and then never hearing from her again because the government Mm-hmm. came in and decided she had to go to a gulag or something. And my understanding is it was in a matter of weeks, if not a couple of months' time or something from the time that uh, my great-grandmother left the country and the, um, and they were essentially captured and sent off. And so um, really she got out in the nick of time. I believe it was her boyfriend. I don't think they were married at the time. Came and settled um, essentially... I th- over in Seattle, I think, at first, and then came to Colorado. So actually, there's a lot of Coloradoans who are native are um, have German from Russian backgrounds. It's very, very prevalent in at least the part of Colorado that we're from and with the natives. Um, so yeah, if, if she wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't be here because, you know. <laughs> That's just, I, I love hearing stories like that. And like I said, I just wish that for s- somehow people could 
go back and just get an understanding of, mm-hmm. yeah, these ideas that you got are, are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we need, we need that in the political spectrum. We need this, this idea of, of taking care of people mm-hmm. and this whole socialism idea. But on the <clears throat> flip side of that, we need the, we need the balance right? so that we don't go down that road as a society that they went down in, in mm-hmm. Russia or in China or in Venezuela or these different right. countries where they've tried this and people just But that's also, up. I think, a godless society too because in the Bible it talks about you take care of the children, the widows. Right. You know, um, there's a lot of that that those ways get lost in communism. Uh, and Well, they become a burden on society. Right. They do, right. And how do you take care of that? You, you get rid you, of it. You get rid of it. It's the same thing, um, not to get you know overly political, but it's the same thing like with Obamacare. Um, the, the concerning thing is like they, uh, there's, if you're paying for everything and the elderly people are a drain on the finances, then you don't support the, the you medicine start denying, programs. Yeah. yeah, you start denying programs, you start denying medicine, you start denying surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the... The benefit, not the benefit, the hope that I have is that we, in America, seems to be this great experiment. Mm -hmm. So we'll go so far to the right, and then all of a sudden it'll swing back, because we have this Mm -hmm. balance, we have this chaos that's going on. Mm -hmm. And even when it goes so far to the left, everybody's like, oh my God, we're going to hell in a handbasket. I'm like, eh, just just hold on. It'll it'll, it'll swing back, and we tend to do that. Right. (laughs) We tend to do that, and it's been proven that we do that. And and ironically, things tend to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing I told somebody the other day. They were talking about, oh, things are just horrible today. And I'm like, no, no. Things are a lot better today than they were oh, yeah. 10 years ago, than they were 20 years ago, than they were 40 years ago. Right. We're not doing the things that we used to do. Mm-hmm. We've become more aware today right. than we were then. The only reason you think it's bad is because all you see is right now and what's popping up in your Facebook feed and on your news. Mm-hmm. But if you step back and look at it from a historical standpoint or you look at it over, over the span of things, life is better today in America. Oh, right. I mean, I was just saw, I was going through my news feed this morning before I got here and they were talking about how employers are raising wages because they can't get workers. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to compete with other employers to get workers and they're raising okay. wages. And I thought... Oh, <laughs> right. And if they're doing it on their own, it's so much better than being mandated to do that, you know? And, and like you said, that's the benefit. The forties, I can't imagine what it must have been like to live through the forties or the thirties between the depression and the dust bowl. Right. You know, and, and before that you had world war one and before that people are still recovering from the civil war. So as you go back through time, at least in America's history, you're always going to be able to find where there was, you know, these, circumstances where people probably must have lived through hell and thought that this is the end times. Exactly. And then all of a sudden it gets better. You know, I'm, I'm, as a kid, I don't remember this. I was a kid. But in the 70s, we had the gas crisis, mm-hmm. you know. And today when they start talking about, oh, the oil prices, it's not going to go back to what it was then. <laughs> We've corrected that. <laughs> Life is much better today. And I, I, that's part of what I try to share with people. It is. And I just, my hope is, as far as, you know, talking about socialism or communism, the the only true concern that I really do have with that is that we become too complacent in our thinking um, as a, you know, for government, 
that we allow this to happen. And I know the forefathers, that's what their concern was too. Thomas Jefferson's one of his many quotes from Thomas Jefferson being very concerned that a government, you know, big enough to give you everything you want is also big enough to take everything you have. Oh, uh, that is a big concern of his. Uh, I, do you watch Joe Rogan? No. He, he's he got a new Netflix special out and uh, he's got a bit about the constitution and he comes out and he says, I, I, I can just imagine if Thomas Jefferson was to come back today, mm-hmm. he would look at us and be like, you haven't come up with anything new? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new? I wrote that with a feather. Right. <laughs> and like, what a disappointment. <laughs> You've not changed it? Nothing's new? <laughs> well, it, they were, and the, our founding fathers are just geniuses anyways. To be able to come up with, you know, the, the system of government that we have that other societies around the world today still try to emulate. To copy, and um, you know, our constitution and our way of our government to, to make it last. It's just amazing. Um, well, and it is. And the thing I like about it is what they built into it was the ability for it to um, to change, but not easily. Right. It's flexus. That's right. And so, yeah, we can make some changes over here, mm-hmm. but you got to go through all these hoops to do it. Right. You can't just automatically say, bam. Um, you always hear people say, I don't care what president it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard this. Ever since I became an adult and started being aware of politics, I don't care what president it is, every administration, somebody on the other side will say, he's going to change the laws. That way he can become president for life. Right. I just heard this the other day about, about President Trump. He's trying to become the king, and that way we don't have any more presidents. I heard that about Obama. I was going to say, they said Clinton. the exact same thing about Obama. Right. He's going to, you wait when, when he's going to change some sort of law and declare martial law, and that way so-and-so can't take over. It didn't happen. It can't happen. Um, the other day when they were talking about, oh, during the election, they were talking about, well, he's got his finger on the nuclear bomb, and all he has to do is order a nuclear strike. Okay, technically, yes, a president can order a nuclear strike without the authorization of Congress and everybody else. Do you, in your right mind, think that if a president come up and said, I want to drop a nuclear bomb on Russia, mm-hmm. that the military... If they don't think it needs to be done, do you think they're going to say, well, the president said so? No, not for a second. Not for a second. Not for a second. So, yes, technically he can do that. But the check and balances over there that these guys that actually have to carry it out Mm -hmm. are going to say, eh. That's why I also don't believe that um, our military would turn on us as a people. I agree. I don't believe that they would. um, Well, you you served, and thank you for your service. Can you honestly say in your heart that if it was ever determined by the, whoever the government was at the time, the administration, to go and attack your own American you know, people, that you guys would do that? No, it wouldn't happen. And, and I always hear that argument, too. Well, if the government was to take over and declare martial law and blah, blah, blah. And, and my argument is, you got guys from Colorado, you got guys from Washington, you got guys from Montana, you got mm-hmm. generals in there. What would happen is there might be some that agree with it. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be others that says, oh, no. <laughs> there's far more who do not. Right. There's far more who do not that's going to say, uh, no. I did hear a story, uh, and I don't know how true it is. Uh, it's just a story I heard from a guy who had been in the Air Force during the Watts riots. And he had said that the president at the time had ordered an, uh, that military jets come over and strafe the area, the Watts mm-hmm. riots, to try to suppress it. And General LeMay, who was over the Air Force at the time, said, no, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. I'm not sending the military in on American soil. So here you have 
an American president, ordered an American general to do just what you said, and he said, no, mm -hmm. I'm not doing it. And that's, <clears throat> to your point, I agree that there's no way I can see the United States government turning on its citizens. And although um, you always hear these people, that's that's one of the arguments for the Second Amendment, which I'm not against the Second Amendment. Right. Uh, but Very one of the arguments it. is that if the government ever turns on us, we can defend against them. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I, I don't believe it would happen either. I, I wouldn't want it to ever go away, obviously, but because um, I'm a firm supporter of the Second Amendment. But um, again, the it's kind of like the Bible. You have to take the context of when the Constitution was written and what was happening at the time. And mm -hmm. you, and this is just, I mean, it's in its infancy. And it was very real threat for several, you know, many decades after we became a country that that, that could happen. And um, so, yes, in that regard, I completely understand where they came from and the reasons for that. I also agree that nowadays that I do not believe that our, our military as a whole would turn on us and try to take over. Um, we have a volunteer volunteer military. Uh, you, you're going to tell me that the enlisted. Uh, or, you, they, or even they, the officer corps. Right, the officer corps. They're there because they have love of country, love of um, freedom, freedom-loving, God-loving, usually, people um, who or are serving. Or they just serving. like to fight. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them just like to fight. <laughs> I always knew that kid was going to be. <laughs> and so, it, it, so yes, for that perspective, no, I do not consider it a very real threat. That, um, but a lot of people will say, well, uh, in turn, well, then you should abolish the Second Amendment. No. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, and the, uh, I, to your point about historical context, then, although we were a young country, it was very much fragmented. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go back to the Wild West, it's not like if you if you're in some town in the Wild West, you could become your own law. Yes. And it it would be really bad. I mean, if you were the sheriff, you're your own law mm -hmm. and you can do whatever you want. Well, that Second Amendment kind of brought a little balance to that. Also brought a lot of gunfights and some great movies. Right. But um Well, the was, Battle of Athens here from my understanding of what happened. I mean, that's another example of of how you you did. I mean, we're, this is not out in the West. No, but, it's not. You know what I mean? And look what happened. Well, and, and that's because we were more fragmented. Now, as a, uh, we're not as fragmented today. There's a, an even response. You've got social media. You can get news out there. You can mm -hmm. expose things a lot better. But the Battle of Athens. You going to the exhibit next week? I've, I've been seeing some um, advertisement for that. I'd like to go and check it out. It's a grand opening. is the 13th of next week, and um, that's an interesting story. So for those of you who don't know, it was, what, 1940s, right 46, after World War II? 46, August 2nd, I believe. Right, right after World War II. Mm -hmm. The veterans had, and I'll tell you the story I heard from this, uh, the veteran side. Mm -hmm. um, I'm friends with one of the ladies whose family was on the other side, the sheriff's side. Uh, Cantrell, correct? Cantrell was the sheriff, and so I'm friends with uh, one of the family members there. And I'm, we've been talking about getting together and talking. And she's, she's more uh, interested in me talking to her brother and the author who wrote the book on it. But So I don't know their side. So this is a very one-sided story that I'm about mm -hmm. to tell you. But the story is that uh, there have been some uh, ballot changes 
there was a bunch of elections where ballots weren't being counted properly. There was no hanging chat or nothing like that, but <laughs> they just weren't being counted properly. Election fraud. Election fraud is the word I'm looking for. And there was a lot of other stuff that was going on, evidently. So the veterans that came back from World War II said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were just overseas fighting to stop this kind of corruption. You can't do that. So they literally went through the legal process, petitioned to have this veterans party that was going to observe the election, observe the ballot counting, mm-hmm. do all that stuff. Put up their own candidate, too. I, I, right, I put up their own candidates and things of that nature. And then they get in there, and it's time to count the ballot, and the sheriff won't let them come in and watch the ballot counting. Mm-hmm. Uh one African-American man ends up getting shot who was on the veteran's side. That breaks into a fight. The veterans mm-hmm. eventually break into the National Guard Armory, steal a bunch of weapons. Full-on firefight happens in downtown Athens. Mm-hmm. And um, there was explosions. Cars turned over. The veterans finally get the sheriff and his people pinned into the, the jail. Mm-hmm. they got this overwatch and sniper positions. And uh, one story I heard was the sheriff had come out. He they had captured three veterans, and they'd threatened to kill them if these veterans didn't back off. Of course, these veterans haven't been overseas. Are like I wouldn't do that. Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that's a very smart move on there. I, strategically, I don't think they thought that one through. No, because those veterans are like, eat, yeah, eat, I don't wouldn't do that. Um, they um, now I was talking to somebody else. I I never thought this through. He said these veterans were very disciplined in what they did because they could have very easily overran that sheriff's oh, sure. office. They could have very easily killed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And nobody died in that fight. A few people were wounded, but nobody died. Um, they ended up taking over, mm-hmm. uh, had the elections overturned, and since then, a Democrat is very hard to get elected in McMinn County Right. Uh, ever since then. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but that's just the reality. Now, on the flip side, uh, another funny story is the lady that I'm a friend of, uh, was her grandfather, who was the sheriff. He was in the jail that day during that firefight. Somehow or another, he snuck out, and he walked up the hill, got a fedora on, a cap, and a long coat, walks up. There's a funeral home at the top of the hill. He goes in there. They put him in the back of a car. And got him out of town. Oh, he really? was gone for two weeks. Nobody knew where he was. But they got him out of town because all the tension that was going on. Right. Things finally settled down. He comes home. She said about six months later, he's at home. And um, one of the guys that was on the other side of the fight <clears throat> come walking up to the house and knocking on the door. And her grandmother comes out. She's just like livid that this guy had the nerve. Sure. <laughs> show up at the house, right? And he wants to talk to her grandfather. And her grandfather's like, okay, I'll go talk to him. And the women in the house are like, don't you go out there and talk to him, blah, blah, blah. You know how women can be. Just, <laughs> right. not, I'm, I'm not stereotyping women that they hold grudges. but <laughs> <laughs> No, no, never would do that. <laughs> right. So he walks out there, and they have the pleasantry, just little greetings. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he says, so the reason I stopped by to see you is I was wanting to know, I'm going hunting this weekend. I was wanting to know if I can borrow your hunting dogs. And her grandfather, uh, Mr. Cantrell at the time, he goes, well, yeah, on, on one condition. Okay, what's that? Well, that I can go with you. Okay. And she said, right there, it was over. Uh-huh. It was over. <laughs> she said, my mother and grandmother to this day can't believe it ended like that. But those two were just friends after that? Yep. And uh, I said, 
Have you ever seen boys on the playground? They will get out there and just beat each other up oh. and then walk off best friends. Right. That's how men do things. Right. Getting it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got boys, right? Yeah, four of them. How many kids do you have? Somebody seven. asked me the other day, and I said, I don't think they know. <laughs> <laughs> we have seven. <laughs> seven. <laughs> and they range in ages from? 18 to um, five months, five and a half months. Wow. Okay. So. <laughs> Let's name them, name them, name them off. Okay, Quentin, he's 18. Okay. And he'll be 19 in November. Harrison is 14. Leanne is 10. Quentin Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I don't know if you know how many you got. Well, because when I had to think about it, <laughs> Luther is uh, seven. And Josephine is four. Opal is two. And then George is... Um, five and a half months. Wow. Now, I remember Opal. You just had Opal when I met you. Uh-huh. And then uh, and then we went out to dinner. And then next thing I know, you've got... Um, what did you say last George. Time? George. George on the way. On the way. <laughs> right. And then right after you had the baby, you said something about us going out to dinner again. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't slow down. <laughs> last time... Last time me and my friend went out to dinner with you and Randy, you end up with a baby. No. <laughs> yeah, we don't slow down, as you can tell. <laughs> These are they, there are two Tennessee babies. Everybody else is from Colorado, so we Randy and I were just musing as kind of kind of funny and interesting and weird at the same time that we have two family members who are not Colorado natives. But yeah. you know, we just always on the move, always on the go, doing stuff, and just don't so slow down. I know the story because you've told me. What brought you to Athens, Tennessee from Colorado? I mean, that's, it's not like he, well, maybe he did, you know, throw a dart. It's <laughs> <laughs> complex. And some people will probably say it's harebrained. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe it's this where that divine intervention comes into play. But uh, for, for a number of years, we were growing, um, I guess you could say, more unhappy with the circumstances in Colorado. The and, urban sprawl. And, yes. Okay. Um, urban sprawl, um, cost of living increases, the political spectrum was changing. When, when we grew up, it was still very much uh, Western and um, kind of more like how Wyoming is now. Uh, you know, and more conservative. Uh, it wasn't as expensive. There's still small towns to be had, that country way of life, Western again. And um, by the time Randy and I had we gotten married and we we're raising our kids. The town that we grew up in didn't resemble the same place. Mm-hmm. So you know we're both born and raised in the same area, and and it's just changed. And so we said, well, let's let's move up north a little ways, about half an hour. So we we found small town area up there and kind of back to where it was twenty years ago, where we were from. And eventually, life catches up to you up there too. And um, so. In that regard, we had talked for a long time about what would it be like to move away and start all over somewhere else. Just, you know, just even live life and change and see. You know, you can either live your whole life someplace or you can, you know, venture out there. Um, But I didn't want to leave my, you know, my parents, my family. My sister, she was in the Air Force out of high school with her husband, and so they had been gone. Yeah. And and really hadn't lived, you know, uh, back at home, essentially, for a long time. But... uh, yeah, uh, what kind of brought us to that point was um, a few different a few different things. We 
we had, again, continuously talked more and more and more about it. And we're, my sister was trying to get us to come down south because she had settled in Panama City, okay. Florida. And uh, after she retired. And so she was trying to talk us into it. Um, but my father, he, um, he, he was receiving a job transfer in the company that he works for. And, and he's in manufacturing and um, he designs and builds the machines that build everything that we use. Um, and so the choice was to either get laid off and start all over in your 60s or else move. And Trenton, Georgia was um, the option. Ah. And uh, we'd always lived in the same town. Um, you As know, your parents, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. And so like when we moved up north, the second my mom always said, I'll never leave Brighton as long as, you know, my kids are here. But the moment that we we left and we moved a half an hour north, <laughs> that first cell sign went in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> the Pop house smoke. that I grew up in, that first cell sign was there. And they're like, we're out of here. <laughs> we're out of here. So they moved, they take off to Trenton, Georgia. They, they Yeah. And actually we beat them out here by a month. Uh, we started kind of looking around. We were really deciding on what to do. We Instead of taking our, our annual trip to our favorite lake out in western Nebraska, we decided to go meet with this realtor and look at a property out in 10 Mile. Oh, wow. It was a marina that was for sale, and it had living quarters on site. And Randy had, for six years already, he had already opened his own business. And, and what we loved, though, is that he worked at home. And so, you know, um, instead of driving 45 minutes into work exactly. at, the, at the dealership down in Denver that he'd been doing for the last 15, 16 years, he was now at home. It was wonderful and a growing list of customers. And, um, and so just having the business right there, <clears throat> excuse me, and right on the property, it was wonderful. We didn't really want to give that up. And it's, it's extremely scary to think about why would you you know, throw away everything you have. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people get that. I, I've started over, I don't know how many times in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm in the process of doing it again. And a lot of people are afraid of that. I've built this. And what they don't understand is, well, you can probably do it again. Right. And, <laughs> and probably the, better because you know what not to right. do this time. <laughs> it's the great unknown, you know, and uh, it was. I mean, we were... Um, extremely happy in our church and um it was a very small church with most everybody there was also in uh well county 4-h with us and so like you you see each other at church but then you're also seeing each other at um, county fair and county 4-h events too um and our homeschool community with uh just friends and close people we were uh, really big into bowling and so we had a wonderful bowling league that we'd travel down to the Denver area for every Monday night, go out to Las Vegas with them once a year for a tournament, Randy's business. So we were very, very happy. And at the same time, we also felt unhappy. I, I, I know that feeling, that chaos, that mm -hmm. I'm happy, but there's something missing. Exactly. And and we'd always talked, like I said, about maybe moving away and experiencing someplace else and something new. Um, and so we didn't, Technically, we didn't own that property. We had a um, we had first rights if we wanted to buy it, and we were always on the fence about wanting to buy it because it was a 115 year old house that needed serious uh, remodeling and renovation. For instance, like the floor is sinking in; it needs to be you know supported underneath. And so we were we really were contemplating: do we want to go this route, or do we want to just go ahead and cut ties and 
you know, and so uh, when we were trying to contemplate that at the same time as my father gets his notice about what's going on, and he has to make a decision. And the, and the lady who owned the property said, well, I've got somebody who will give me $189,000 for it. And can you do that and tell me in 24 hours? Yeah, no. I can tell you in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, well, no. <laughs> well, first of all, last a year ago, it was $130,000 is what you wanted for it if we were going to buy it. And in one year's time, it's now at 189. And that is the truth because you can look on Zillow and see that that's actually what it sold for. But um, it's we we just knew. We're like, no, I'm sorry. I understand that the market in, in Colorado is, is just going up through the roof. But this house in the property is not worth that. And it's not worth it to us. Especially if you know there's something inside you saying no. Mm-hmm. You know, when you got that, you have to listen. I, I call it the inner you, the true you. It could be the spiritual you. Mm-hmm. Something in you saying there's something more. Right. We did. And we, Randy got off the phone with the lady who owned the property uh, when she told us this news. Um, and we just looked at each other. We stood in the living room. We looked at each other. We said, let's go. And, and we had actually, again, we had already traveled out to 10 Mile about a month earlier. So we were really kind of mentally in that place where we were already talking about, let's, uh, let's maybe go ahead and do this. And so when she put that ball into motion, it sealed, um, it just sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. And within three weeks, we were packed up and gone. Packed up and gone here in Athens. So now, uh, I remember you told me that, so Randy... We've talked about his business, but we haven't talked about his business. Randy owns a uh, repair shop here. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Athens, it's Randy's Reliable Auto. Right. They're open from 8-ish to 5-ish. <laughs> That's what the sign <laughs> says. It's the truth. I was telling somebody <laughs> about it the other day, and they said, is that the one that says that we're open from 8-ish to 5-ish? <laughs> yeah, that's it. They said, what time are they open? It's from 8-ish, 8-ish to 5-ish. Five-ish. And somebody's probably looking at it and going, man, those southern rednecks. <laughs> Like, but they're not. <laughs> but we're not. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're, it's like you try to set firm hours. And, and I know, obviously, if we were, I don't want to say like, well, you can't do that as, you know, family and kids. Because people do that every day when you're business owners. We, um, I, I guess we, I don't want to say we don't take it seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And uh, Randy takes his business extremely seriously in what he does. He does. And, you know? <laughs> and, and this is not, Randy's not sponsoring this. This is not an advertisement. I'm just telling you about this because I do like him. I have used him. I have friends that have used him. I have family that's used him. He is very serious. Uh, one friend of mine, he had worked on the car. The car come back and uh, the engine light came back on. And he and I were talking about it, and I, there's some other issues going on there. And he says, I wouldn't have let that car out of here without the, with the engine light on. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that. And my friend knows that. We know that. We know that this thing's just possessed. There's something else going on. <laughs> and so uh, he is very reliable. I loved it when I walked in there uh, to pay him for fixing mine. Um, the uh, And I learned a lesson. I'll tell you the lesson I learned when I hadn't fixed my car. But when I... <laughs> When I walked into paying for fixing money, he's got a sign there. <clears throat> Something about credit. <clears throat> he says, yeah, can I borrow $50? Something like that. I forgot what the sign says. If you believe in credit, loan me $50. <laughs> yeah. So, no, you can't make payments to Randy. What I did learn uh, in taking my car to Randy is uh, make an appointment. He is very busy because I, I dropped my car off there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I just pulled in one day and said, hey, I need my car fixed. He's like, okay. It'll be a while before I get to it. Well, to me, a while might be a couple hours, maybe a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and rented a car. 
it was a couple of weeks and, and nothing against Randy. I love him to death. And I love driving that rental car. Uh, but I thought, okay, dummy, you should have said, when can you get to it? And I'll bring it back. That way I have a car to drive. But, uh, right. Yeah. He is that backed up. He's that popular. And, and he, and he does his best. And if there's any way possible that he can, um, fit you, like work you in and say like, okay, well, if I'm waiting on a part on this car, you know, try to do his, you know, his God's honest best to make it work. He does. Um, but yeah, there he's got a, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the old Corvette that's covered in pollen that's sitting out there. In yes. The I've seen um, that one. That, that is a, um, can I leave this here? And then when you have time, just work on it. Cause that's, that's one of those kind of situations. So yeah, we've, you know, it's, it kind of works both ways. He, you know, but he'll, he'll pick up, um, he's got a lot of lady customers who are in their nineties and, you know, he'll go and pick them up and drop them off and, yeah. and then yeah, they no, bring he's... him, you know, banana bread and <laughs> so, <laughs> he's got a lady who brings some spring water bottles. I'm going to fix my, my headphones. Don't mess she, up. she brings, I <laughs> mess up, mess up my hair and the hairspray that's in it. It's the hairspray that messes it up because it makes it stick. But, um, she brings some spring water bottles because she doesn't want him drinking the regular bottled waters. Oh. Be- <laughs> well, you know, it's your own personal belief. It's not as good for you. So so she makes sure that she brings some Well, that's water so bottles. sweet. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, we um, when we came out, he, he we said, well, he's going to have to, you know, just go to work somewhere uh, at, a, at a shop or a dealership until we can get back on our feet and then find out where we want to live and buy a place and then reopen our business. Um and he got a job, you know, right away. He had a few different offers, so it wasn't a problem finding work. No, it's not. It's the problem was is he wasn't being able to make as much money as what we needed to make and um, to live, and just you know issues with they would turn away work because they didn't feel like doing it, and he'd be like raising his like me, 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 pick me, pick me. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, a lady's on the side of the road, and she wants to bring her Audi in because there's a you know she needs a fuel pump, and they're like, no, we don't work on those. And he's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> right. And so within three weeks of living out here, um, he's we, this isn't going to work. We've we need to start our own you know business. Let's do this again. Mm-hmm. Let's do this again. So we were down at a at a KOA campground outside of Trenton in our trailer living there while he's working, trying to figure out where we want to settle. Cause we didn't have a, we didn't know where we knew the campground we were going to be in, but we didn't know where we were going to settle down here. And, uh, so we were, you know, looking around and we still liked the Athens area from when we had traveled out about a month before, six weeks before, um, couldn't stop really thinking about this general area, like Sweetwater down to Athens didn't really care for, um, nothing against it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it didn't suit us, the Trenton area or the South Pittsburgh or, you know, Jasper and Chattanooga Mm -hmm. to live. I like visiting it, but I I just wasn't happy. didn't feel like home. So we were driving up this way and, um, had gone through Athens. We're like, let's just take another drive through here. It was on a Saturday and we were driving down the main, main drag here in town come up to a stoplight and I just happened to look over across the way and I very sarcastically because I wasn't in a good mood very sarcastically said well there's a place that's for sale or rent why don't we just do that one and um Randy's like he looks at it and it happened to be the the shop we're in now and he's he pulled up the phone took a picture of the sign the, uh-huh. the for rent sign called the next day and <clears throat> that's just you know it's everything just kind of happened that way and then bam so yeah we and got that was how many shop. years ago 
Uh, be three three years in December. Okay, so you guys haven't been here uh, much. That that was 2015. Mm-hmm. So you you didn't you weren't here much longer before I got here. You yeah, haven't been here that long when we met. No, we left Colorado at the end of September. It's been three years mm-hmm. that we left Colorado, um, but it'll be three years December that we have moved to Athens. So uh, let me ask you this: Are any of your kids? I know Quentin doesn't. But are any of the younger ones developing more southern accent? <laughs> and how, how odd is that? I can't tell. <laughs> I know that uh, they've, they've laughed at me because there's sometimes I'll actually will say y'all for something um, <laughs> instead of you guys. Because out west, everything's you guys. I know. <laughs> that was me. It was you guys or um, <clears throat> um, what was it? Yeah, it was you guys. Started to say gals, mm-hmm. you know, would say that sometimes, but uh, and I just. I know I actually will say fix them for something, and so uh, there's in some ways I've I've kind of picked up some of the colloquialisms. The, yes, um, but I don't know. We we always would laugh and say, well, you know, Coloradoans, you can't hear the people. We don't have an accent, but we can hear everybody else's and make fun of them. <laughs> well, the funny thing about that is uh, my kids can't hear mine. They just grew up with it. And um, when I lived there, when they were in high school and stuff, their friends would be like, where's your dad from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's got an accent. And Levi's like, I don't, I don't hear his accent. Now, he could hear my, my mom and dad's mm-hmm. accent, but he just couldn't hear mine. And uh, he's, he just always found that so weird. Yeah. And it, I actually had, um, at, at the bowling alley here in town, um, a gentleman came up to me. I was talking to his wife, and he, he shook my hand, and he said, now you ain't from you're from up north, ain't you? <laughs> and I said, I go, no, I'm actually from out west. But he he, he could tell I I wasn't from. You ain't from here. around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and you can usually tell that when you talk to people. Um. So homeschool, what got you into that? Have you always been into it? Were you homeschooled? No, actually, I was um, public and private school okay. growing up. Uh, public school um, until it became. Just horribly miserable for me. I was bullied relentlessly. And then my parents um, footed the bill to put me in the Lutheran private school in town. Okay. Um, did that. And uh, that went up through eighth grade. And then uh, they they stopped at eighth grade. And then you had to go back to the public high school. But by then, I had um, you know, found my way, I guess you could say, in kind of a kiss-my-tail attitude. Right. Which and is a good <laughs> attitude to have from time to time. We need yeah. to teach our kids more of that. Yeah, and um, so after being, you know, out of that setting for a few years and then coming back in with, um, you know, just older and a different attitude, everything was great. I loved high school. Absolutely loved it. Um, Randy hated it. He loathed it. But so, yeah, I I was, homeschooling was not something, my mother wishes that she really knew about homeschooling because she she said that she would have done that for me when I was being bullied and and left school, but. So what are some of the myths and concepts, or I guess myths, that people have about homeschooling? Because you mentioned homeschooling to some people, do they just look at you weird? Uh, Well, used to. Uh, Even my own um, mother, my I don't know if my dad, he didn't really say a whole lot. So, but, um, when we, when we said, well, we're going to homeschool Quentin, you know, it was, uh, and my sister, they both were very much against it. Um, back when he was a little kid, um, miss our, 
well, one like the the most common one that every every homeschooler out there, and if anybody who's listening now, socialization, and we can all say right. it like in sync form. It's the biggest um, inside joke for for homeschool families is socialization. Right, and that's that's because <laughs> I know a lot of homeschool families, um, uh, and that's you're right. The big thing that you always hear people who are don't understand homeschool mm-hmm. is, well, how's their kids going to learn social skills? I'm like, well, your kid learns social skills. <laughs> and it's certainly not with a whole bunch of other fourth grade idiots. Right. We're yeah. not putting them in this compound <laughs> where they just have this one little world and never get outside right. of and it. And the only people they socialize with are, are 30 kids who are the exact same age that they are and, you know, in the same process. So, yeah, I mean, it, our kids, for instance, um, again, this is going to be fairly typical of, of most homeschool families. They um, socialize with people from babies all the way up to 100 years old um, in different settings. So they are going to learn to, they learn to talk and be friends with people, you know, church, young and old, um, out just in public, different social groups, um, and just go and get it. And homeschool families, they tend to, you, you supplement things like you don't have art class and music class and PE class, like you do just um, integrated into this um, to your kids' uh, school day at like you do when you're in public school or just, you know, any brick and mortar school. So we go and seek that out. Well, uh-huh. when you do that, then you're putting your kids out there and they're meeting different people. Right. You tend to be more involved in, uh, uh, I would guess, community sports leagues, uh, community art. Right. You're just going to go out and find it. You, you know? just go out and find it. Uh, and Things that are interesting to, you know, to what your kids want to do. And they're not being forced to do things that they don't, they're not interested in. So if your kid doesn't want to do, you know, whatever, like the school, uh, I hated sports, <laughs> you know, like when I was a kid. I still, I'm not a sports person. Right. Did I, you like roller derby? I like roller derby. <laughs> hey, I was on roller skates when I was three, you know. Um, and, of course, we, we grew up dancing um, and cheerleading. And like I said, the funny thing about cheerleading is I love cheerleading as, as a sport itself. And I love doing it. I don't know anything about football. I was the captain of the cheerleaders. I don't know anything about don't football. Don't know a thing about football. No, but right. I can act really good. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I can shake so, a pom-pom. So, well, and, and that's the thing, because you, when I talk to families who don't understand homeschooling, they, they see these kids who are very quiet, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like introverted or? Very introverted, but very sheltered. Mm-hmm. They don't know the horrors of the world. They don't right. know how people can be. And I, <clears throat> I'm like, do you know anybody that homeschools? <laughs> 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 you need to talk to these people. Because uh, like you said, I mean, like Quentin even went to a prom, right? But yeah. it was because mm-hmm. the homeschool community had got together and put mm-hmm. up a prom. <clears throat> yeah. My voice is cracking. And, and it, it is, it's different around the country, um, a different... Uh, like what, what we found out when we moved is that homeschooling can look different out here or the homeschool support groups can be different out here than they are back at home. Like they don't have prom for homeschoolers back at, in Colorado. Um, it's, I'd love to see that happen, but they don't have it. Somebody, they just, it just hasn't been done yet. They have a lot of other things. Like we were uh, with our support, big support group in the um, large town that we were outside of kind of connected to. Uh, they had civil war balls. Which is kind of funny because down here I haven't found one yet. You won't. But out in Colorado. <laughs> so, I, so it's kind of, yeah, I find that interesting. And so. Um, I do he, too. Yes. 
and they enjoyed it. He learned how to do the Virginia reel and learned so, like you know manners of gentlemen and ladies. And the ladies, they all dressed up in their um, beautiful hoop skirt dresses and ringlets in their hair, and it was a beautiful setting. Um, and so that would be kind of, I guess you could say, it would like kind of like place. a prom, but it'd be a ball. It would be, and right. and a lot of, um, and you also have to remember that. The, I guess you could say the traditional homeschool families or the fundamental homeschool type of families. Um, it's been, this is a, we can get into this conversation too, but being, del, I would say like diluted um, with an, a massive influx of homeschoolers um, with the way things are going now. But traditionally, very fundamental Christian basis. And so a lot of those families, they don't dance and they don't listen to any music. If it's, you know, like it's going to be classical, it's going to be spiritual. So there is a reason there's a stereotype. Oh, sure there is. For and, homeschoolers. Because there, there is you know, a group over there that is very, very much like you said, but then, then you got the other people who think that, well, you're not an educator. Mm-hmm. You're not trained as an educator. And, and these kids aren't learning. And, right. and there probably are. Some mm-hmm. people who are doing that. So I guess the question is, does the state, does the federal government, is there a testing to make sure that these kids are actually learning? Or is it just left up to mom That's and dad to say, yeah. That's going to be state by state basis. And, and yeah, so there is, <clears throat> there's truth in everything. And, and so, yes, you do have a lot of the, the fundamental families. And there is a reason why, if we're going to be fair and honest, there is a reason why through the years there has been some stereotypes about homeschool families being weird, fundamentalist. Um, it does exist. On the other hand, um, we, I can tell you, like, my, my kids socialize with um, families in the homeschool communities. That are, I'm Episcopalian. So, mm-hmm. like, for instance, I am a Catholic, or Christian, very strongly held Christian beliefs. Um, but Episcopalians, and again, I grew up Lutheran, uh, my husband grew up Catholic, that's going to look completely different than our Mennonite friends. And we do have, we have Mennonite friends. Uh, we have uh, Church of God Holiness friends. Mm-hmm. Um, only skirts for girls, hairs up in a bun, no makeup, no jewelry, no television. But you know what? We've got very, very dear friends, and we love to socialize with them, and we will visit each other's churches. Um, when we when we see them, and so our kids are exposed to to that as well, and everybody gets along and and says, okay, well, there's a difference, but we're all good with that. At the other hand, yes, you do hear these stories that are you know the news cycle about like that family in California or something with 15 kids and they're all chained to the bed and they claim to be homeschooling but they're torturing their children. Um, so yes, there's. Unfortunately, and then people see that, and then if you if you're on social media, you can see the comments and like this is the reason why you shouldn't be out homeschool. Some states have like Colorado, for instance, um, they do have the standardized testing that is mandated. Um, I think probably most states, if you're if you're not part of an uh, umbrella homeschool, that if you're just registering as a homeschool student or homeschool family with your school district, they have that oversight. So you have, uh, if, if you just want to be completely independent as a homeschooler, not associated with any uh, umbrella school for protections, you register with a school district. And okay. state by state will tell you, Colorado, for instance, you don't have to register with the school district in which you reside. You can register halfway across the state if you want to. 
I don't know why you would, but I guess there might be a reason. Maybe they're, you know, just jerks in your district and they want to harass homeschoolers, right? So Possibly, right? Uh, and that does happen. That's why we have HSLDA, which is the Homeschool Legal Defense Association for the country. Um, for I didn't even know that existed. Mm-hmm. That makes sense that you would have one, but I didn't even know that existed. Yes, it's oversight. They, so do you have unions? Um, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> do, your homeschools. And so, yeah, no, definitely don't have that. <laughs> But yeah, so HSLDA, they're, they are a legal defense um, association, and you can pay to be um, a member of, of theirs, and they are, uh, you can have them on speed dial if you ever needed them. They are lawyers who will come to your defense to fight. So if you have um, homeschool districts that are, or, or school districts, pardon me, that are harassing you for truancy or anything, um, there have been parents that have been put in jail, kids have been taken out, parents that have to go to court. It still happens today. Um, it, so they will come to your aid and fight for you in court. They will send um, letters to a school district if need be to get these people off your backs. Um, most families, the vast majority of homeschool families, and this is what we tell the new families coming in who are pulling their kids out of school, um, join an umbrella school. Okay. And what that is, is um, and it's paperwork, essentially. It's... Um, private Christian school, usually ran out of a church. Mm-hmm. It's for homeschool families to join so that they can be a part of of this school. Um, on paper and for legal purposes, we are no longer homeschool students in the true sense. We are private school students. Okay. And for that reason, then the government cannot bother us because we are private school students. They, mm-hmm. There's no oversight from the government. <clears throat> well, what about the curriculum? Who decides the curriculum? Is it age-based? I do. Okay, you do. Um, there is a vast major amounts of curriculum out there now. The one I'm familiar with, I think, is David C. Cook. I haven't heard of that one actually. I might be making it up. <laughs> there's, well, there is the most. There's. I haven't very... signed onto the Wi-Fi here, or I'd look <laughs> it up. But I think it was David C. Cook. It was a Christian-based, very conservative, very fundamental. Um, bunch uh, and I ran into it because when I was in college I went to a Bible college as mm-hmm. you know uh, there was parents there that were homeschooling mm-hmm. which I found weird that there were even people at my college my college had very few singles mm-hmm. it was mainly uh, married couples going to my college and it was weird that here I am at this very fundamental conservative Christian college and when I say fundamental conservative I had to wear a shirt and tie mm-hmm to class every day. That's how this uh, college was. I don't know if it's still the same. I haven't been there in a long time, but there were families there who just couldn't understand this whole idea of homeschooling. And um, I was like, really? I mean, we didn't do it. And the reason we didn't do it is the wife didn't want to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't going to do it. I was working full time. I mean, Randy's right. not going to do it. Right. And it's she didn't want to do it. It's a full time job. And she was just like, I, and she was a stay at home mom, mm-hmm. but she just, she did not feel comfortable doing that. And I'm not going to. Right. And, and I don't, I don't think my kids are any worse off or better no. off or. No, it's, it, it's a very personal decision. It's not for everybody. Not everybody should do it. Um, not everybody, you know, can, even if they wanted to, just because of circumstances, um, you some kids thrive in homeschool. Some kids thrive in brick and mortar schools. It really depends on the families. So when I think of brick and mortar school, I think of 
some conspiratorial training for the factory, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have a very scheduled day. Mm-hmm. You have the bell rings. I mean, it's like right. Pavlo's dog. Yes, <laughs> Pavlo's bell. <laughs> That's right. You've got this very structured day, mm-hmm. um, and I know, like you said, some kids do well in it. I, some don't. I think it's very hard on boys, the to have them sit and still while you instill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've raised both a daughter and a son, and I know that with my son, if I want to teach him something. Mm-hmm. Sitting him down and telling him was not the way. <laughs> if I want to talk with my son, mm-hmm. sitting my son down and say, okay, let's talk, was not right. the way. I would go out and would do something. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the beauty. Uh, well, one of the many beauties of homeschooling and benefits is that you can have, uh, like so I have seven children, and they can all have different learning styles. Mm-hmm. And um, I, we, have, we don't use the same, uh, for instance, like curriculum, um, publisher for every subject. I have a variety of publishers for different subjects that I prefer. Like through the years, I'll say, well, I've just have come to, to prefer um, maybe broaden staff for science and social studies and uh, Matthew C. for the math curriculum and maybe Bob Jones for spelling. And so you just kind of come to know what you like and don't like. And, and even then, what works for one kid might not work for another. Um, maybe the way that math is taught, uh, there's two different ways to teach long division. Did you know that? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and when I was in school in fourth grade learning long division, I couldn't wrap my head around the traditional, put the number in the box and find out like what goes into this. And you have to, you know, work it out the traditional way. Um, I was failing because I couldn't get it. My mother taught me another way to do long division. It's, um, I, and I can't, I remember how it looks nowadays, but I can't remember how to do it. I understood it that way. My teacher would not accept it. She's, we were getting the correct, I was getting the correct answers the way my mother was teaching me how to do it, but she would still mark it wrong because I didn't work out the problem the way she said it had to be done. And so I've always had a problem with that. And I don't understand why they do that. You Mm -hmm. got to the correct answer, got to the correct answer, but, and I know that there's a big argument going on right now in education and my kids aren't in school so I don't pay attention to Mm -hmm. it but what's it called core or common core common core and there's a big problem with that because evidently they're not doing it a certain way Mm -hmm. and I I never understood it I guess on one hand I get it that they want you to learn this skill set but I got the answer. Yeah, and I'm not, and I don't... And I can get the answer every yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. And and I know that there's a whole lot of Common Core problems. I, My kids have never been associated with that, so I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really know a whole lot about it. I know that, um, like, you can talk to numerous parents who are, uh, who have their kids in it and are, are just vehemently opposed to it. I just, I'm not an expert on... It, well, exactly I'm not either. I'm not. I'm works. not saying for it or but against yeah. it, but I know that one of the problems is they want they want right. them to do a certain thing a certain way, yeah. and if they don't do it that way, it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. they get to the answer. Right, it's wrong. And to be fair, like in math, uh, math is absolute, and you know, I mean, it's two plus two is four. There's no other way around it. But I guess to, just in this regard, to go back to what you're saying is that if you we just you can explain things differently or work out a problem differently or or teach something in a way that they enjoy or can get or you know see it or learn it then then you had that flexibility um 
you know, schools, <laughs> the school bus down our road comes and picks up the kids across the way about 7.30 in the morning. My kids are still in bed. <laughs> you know? So what does a day look like? Uh, well, and do you have like certain days are school days and certain days aren't? No, well, every day, well, the weekends aren't school day unless we're doing something like a special field trip. Uh, you know, like for instance, if we go to that museum or if we go to a Fort Loudoun State Park, you know, reenactment or something, um, then then those uh, will count as field trips. Okay. For for school time, but uh, and church counts. Anything that's really religious education um, counts. As counts school time. for who? For you or for the curriculum that you're the, Count, the well, umbrella school that us, you're in? But it counts for the umbrella schools okay. um, as school time because it's religion. Okay. Um, but. So for us, like a typical day is going to be the kids start rolling out of bed between 8 and 8.30 in the morning. Um, of course, you know, I'm up. Randy's already been gone. Um, you know, I, I'm up taking care of the baby, getting things, you know, started. The kids start getting up, getting themselves ready for the day. Breakfast handled, chores handled. Um, and then around 10.30 is when we sit down to start school in earnest. Uh-huh. Um, and so... and. and and again, you can look at, you can talk to 20 different homeschool families and get 20 different ways that they do it. A lot of times they love to say, well, we, we gather around the table in our pajamas and we'll eat breakfast while we're doing school. I'm more structured in the sense that like it, it just is my own personal pet peeve. I don't care if we're doing homeschool or not, but do, do not come out into the kitchen. If you haven't washed your face and brushed teeth, you know, comb your hair, <laughs> made your bed. And so, so do you have them make their bed? Oh yeah. I mean, they have to, yes. Before breakfast, get dressed, you know, do your bathroom stuff. Like you wash your face, brush your teeth, everything, comb your hair, make your bed, be dressed, have all that stuff handled before you sit down for the, you know, for breakfast at the table. So that, and, and that's a simple thing. And, but I heard somebody say, uh, well, one, there's a guy named, he's very controversial. His name's Jordan Peterson. Um, he said, you get all these, he's a university professor in Toronto. And he said, I get all these millennials coming in. They want to change the world. He's mm-hmm. like, dummy, you can't even make your bed. Right. <laughs> right. Go well, make your bed first. Make your bed. Let's right. take care of your world first before you come up with these grand ideas to change the world. And then there's another guy that I was listening to, uh, and he said, you, one of the first things you got to learn to do is make your bed in the morning. Because mm-hmm. you, you've already done one thing that 90% of the people in the world haven't done. See, and that's just amazing to me to think. To me, it's so basic. You know, make your bed, comb your hair, clean, make sure your room is, you know, picked up throughout the day. Yeah. The girls, that they'll go, you know, in the room and play. And, and kids share. We, we stack kids. Like, what can I say? <laughs> right now we have a three-bedroom house. Um, the house that we, we came from when we just had five kids was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house. And then when I was expecting um, Luther, our fourth child, Randy took the sunroom, finished it for us, and made it into a bed, bedroom for, for me and him. Um, so we, when we got our house we have now, it's like big because we have two bathrooms. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah, we, so like currently we have, th- you know, three, we got the girls in one room, the three boys in one room. There are people and listening then... to this. It's got two kids <laughs> that think they got two kids. They got a three bedroom, two and a half bath house. And they think it's too small. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, I know my grandfather always said that more people usually have more house than they'll ever, you know, really need, but so yeah, we have uh, of course, and the baby. He didn't meet you guys. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the baby always stays with us in our room until they get bigger. But right. so yeah, so that's what we start school around ten thirty. Um, go for a couple hours, break for lunch, um, which means you know Randy comes home every day for lunch. 
everybody eats, we get cleaned up, the kids go out and play. Of course, you know, the older, the older kids, they don't play so much, but there's always somebody who's older who will go out and watch the little ones um, or, you know, just to do their own thing. Put the, put the younger kids back to bed by around 3 o'clock, and then we reconvene again until like 3 to 5.30 or 6. Five-ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he'll, until Randy comes home, and then when Dad's home, then, you know, we, we pick up the kitchen table, uh, all the stuff that's around the kitchen table, get ready to have dinner. So do the older ones teach the younger ones? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. I have um, Quentin now that he's um, graduated, especially, and he's he's waiting to start his college. Hopefully, in January is when uh, he's on a waiting list right now. But um, so when he's not working, then a lot of times he helps. He helps babysit or run errands. Harrison, in between, if he's if there's something, he does independent work. He's in eighth grade. Um, but maybe he's waiting on me to help him show something, and maybe I need to feed the baby. And so, can you please help Luther with a math lesson? Oh wow! You know, or or do you know, read help him read something here or there? Or can you please explain something to Leanne if she needs help with a particular word in science? If I can't do that, um, so you know, there is and and like with Leanne, she's in fourth grade now. She's ten. She's I'm teaching her or training her slowly, you know, it's this process, to start to learn things on her own and to be less reliant on me sitting next to her to teach her everything and her to be able to say, this is my assignment, I open my book, I read what I'm supposed to be reading and answer the questions. I come back in, I grade the work. If she's blowing through it and getting everything mostly correct, and they always have to do the corrections, then I know that she's retaining, you know, we, we discuss things. But if half the stuff's wrong, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, well, okay, let's let's go back through this lesson, sit down, and and um, I'll I'll go over it with you. So uh, I I ask this of a few parents. What age did your kids learn to read? It's or do you know? It's a trans. Well, it's a transition um, of time. So like Luther is learning how to read now. He's seven and in first grade. I started him and when he was five in the book. We have a, a book that I love. Um, it's Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. Mm -hmm. It's very familiar <laughs> to a lot of homeschool parents. Um, again, there's so much curricula out there, and homeschool families, they are very... You're going to have families out there who are, are very much like, I only use this to teach my kids how to read, or I only use that, or I've tried numerous different things for me. What I love and use is that book, and um, so we start them around five years old or so. Well, the reason and then I you ask work is through the book. Uh, my uh, ex-wife and I, someone asked us about our kids one time when they learned to read, because they read very mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. and they were always ahead in their testing and reading. Right. And uh, I remember us looking at each other, thinking, "I don't know." Mm -hmm. uh, from the time my daughter, I didn't grow up in a reading family. Uh, and it wasn't until I got to college that I really found a love of okay. reading. My wife, ex-wife grew up, uh, and I, if I say wife, I'm interchangeably right. ex-wife uh, for those of you out there. I'm not married. Um, the She would she grew up reading mm -hmm. with a love of reading. And, and I knew the value of it, so I always encouraged having books and, mm -hmm. and my daughter having a book. <clears throat> and she always had a book. She's always right. flipping through a book, and she... And though you'd read her this book and she, and I don't know if she was reading it or she just had this book memorized and she could tell you the story, 
but I don't know when she learned to read. Right. <laughs> she just, to me, she's always read. And the same thing with my son, because, you know, he was four years younger, and of course, she's a girl, and he's a little boy, and she's reading to him, and mm-hmm. I'm reading to him, and mom's reading to him, and all of a sudden, he's reading. I don't know yeah. when they learn to read. It was just part of their life always. Right. It, it, it does. It just becomes, you know, part of it. Like Leanne, I can say she was mostly independent reading by third grade, but last year. Second grade, I still would sit and help her with a lot of, you know, like put your finger under, you know, the sentence and let's work through it together. Um, but by third grade, I'd say last year, she was mostly independently reading. And now she's just, she'll, she's got four or five different books, books, you know, um, burning at once, like the little house on the prairie, Rachel Yoder, which is an Amish um, series about a little girl and all the antics that she gets into and um, a horse chapter book about a girl who rides horses. And so she's got three or four. And then of course, what she picks up here at the library, Um, Quentin, same kind of thing. Quentin can read like five different Donald Trump books and then an Anne Rand book. And then um, he's, he's right now he's working his way through Godfather. And so it's like, yeah, he's, you know, so he's got several different ones. Harrison, Harrison isn't as interested in uh, reading all the time, but he's he's starting to pick it up more. I still always encourage. He's a good reader. It's just that his interest is more in designing a building. He's got more of that engineering like my dad has. So that's where, like, if he has his free time, Quentin for free time, he'll crack open a book with yeah. a cup of coffee or tea. Harrison's free time is what can I design and build. Well, so it's just, you know, you, it's just and you encourage that. What your kids interested in, you encourage right. and you don't try to push them. It's, it's that, uh, was it a proverb or a psalm? Raise up your child in the way they sh- um, should go and they will not turn from it. Proverbs uh, 22, I want to say. I can't yeah. remember the exact verse, but I think it's chapter 22. Yeah, and it's basically your, your, your child will have a natural bend, mm-hmm. a natural thing that interests them encourage that right uh, it may not be something you maybe you want your son to be a doctor mm-hmm. but you know he he's got this bend for design and construction well you know encourage that and let him go that way right that's um that's pretty cool i my son when he was in um elementary school they had to do book reports and he got really into the hot harry potter series and the wife was into it the daughter was into it i and i never got into reading fictions mm-hmm. and and stuff like that so that wasn't one of the things that i read a lot of but <clears throat> they did so we had all those books right and the the big one came out i don't even know the name of it but the great big harry potter book came out levi's got it in his backpack constantly and um it's on his desk and the teacher's going around finding out what everybody's going to do for their book report and that was the one he wanted to do his book report on and she'd stopped at one of the girls nearby and asked her, and she mentioned that book. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, no, the book's too big. It's going to take you too long. You can't do it. Well, she comes by to Levi, and she says, Levi, what are you going to do your book report on? He said, well, I was wanting to do it on this one, but you just told her she can't. And she says, oh, no, you can do it. You'll have that book read by the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And she knew Levi. He'd have it read by the end of the week. No. When Levi was growing up, and I don't know if you've dealt with this with some of your kids, when he was growing up, um, my dad mentioned to me one time, uh, he said, I think he's got some uh, dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of, not that everyone had him tested, mm-hmm. because it wasn't so severe that it was a problem problem. Right. But it was, I wouldn't notice that when he's reading, he gets stuff transposed. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's getting frustrated about it. And I told him, I said, look, 
You just got to work harder. You do. You, you can either say, okay, this is a problem and I'm not going to read. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, I value this reading and I'm going to work harder and I'm just going to have to deal with this and, and work harder at it. And you'll be better for it. And he did. Right. And thus, you know, here he is in elementary school, one of the best readers in his class, even though he, he's got some dyslexia and he can, he can deal with it. Right. Uh, but, th- but that's the same thing I told my daughter. You know, you got a girl growing up in America, and, uh, and everybody's like, "Well, she's a girl." And I told Kaylee, "Well, you're just gonna have to work harder." Yeah, exactly. Well, and like with dyslexia, that runs in my family too. My father had it um, a lot, and in the '50s, growing up in the school, they just told him he was stupid. Right. As a teacher, you know, I mean, you can't read because the stuff's coming across the projection screen, and you can't get those words out, so you're just stupid. Um, which we now know today is dyslexia. And when I'm really tired, it'll come out more. Um, I tend to get things. When, when I was first married, I was cashiering at Kmart, and I would, at the end of the day, if I was tired, I'm telling customers totals completely backwards. <laughs> Thank goodness they're looking and they're laughing. It came out with me when I was doing construction. <laughs> Right. When I'm doing construction, I would pull a measuring tape. They'd tell me, oh, yeah, it's six foot three inches. And all of a sudden I hand back this three foot six inch piece. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and that and ADD. ADD is um, not ADHD, but ADD is, again, my my father, my sister, Quentin. I, I learned how to parent Quentin because of... Um, it's in the family and my mother would give me tips. She'd say, you cannot tell him, you know, go do this, this, and this, and this and expect him to have it done. It has to be, you know, go make your bed. And then when that's done, okay, now go do this. Okay. Now go do this. And even to this day, it's, um, it's not because they're not smart or not trying. I mean, Quinn is just wildly intelligent, but he, the simplest things sometimes can, and he can get distracted and then forget something or get something. Like if I send him to the grocery store, I will do it out of convenience for, for maybe a, a list of items. But I also do it knowing that there's a good chance that something's going to be. <laughs> well, and if he's like me, up. which it sounds a lot like me, if you're going to send me to a grocery store for a list of items, write it down. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I don't do. tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be very, very straightforward. And so, yeah, I mean... Unless you're sending me for a gallon mm. of milk. <laughs> right. Or but I can... tell me one item. Yeah, so one item. <laughs> yeah. But my boss at work, uh, well, my previous boss, she would come in. She says, well, we got to do this, we got to do this. And she's got all these mm-hmm. projects. And some of them's like months down the road, and she's talking about these projects. And I finally stopped her and said, Carol, Carol, stop. What do you want me to get done today? Mm-hmm. And then she, oh, no, no, no. Okay. What's the one thing... You want me to get done right now. Right. And, um, well, I want this. Okay. Mm-hmm. That I'll go do. Right. And then I'll come back. Okay, now what's your priority? But right. she was so scatterbrained. I mean, it's just like she puts all this stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And if it's very easy to get overwhelmed thinking, they want all, all this is a priority, which I hate the word priorities. Mm-hmm. The word priorities isn't even right. a word. I mean, it's like, a, it's like we made it up in the 20th century. <laughs> Priority by definition is one thing. Yeah, like or the one. Yeah, the one thing. <laughs> the, you ever read that book by Gary Keller? Uh-uh. I'll have to get that to you. I've got that book at home. It's called The One Thing, and uh, Gary Keller started uh, Keller. Him and his partner started Keller Williams, a real estate company. Oh, okay. And uh, very successful, blew up. Right. Uh, became very successful. 
He's got a book out called The One Thing, and, and what it was they were teaching realtors, can, and you can imagine, well, you know what it is, running your own business, you got mm-hmm. a thousand things right. that you got to get done, and what he would say is, write down the one thing, the one thing that's going to knock over the most dominoes. Mm-hmm. Do that first. Right, and, makes and, sense. And then, go next to the next one thing, but he said a lot of people write down their priorities, just get rid of that word, what's your one priority for today? Right. And let's get that done. Um, which is something that I try to, I try to live by and that's what I try to do at work. But it was funny. Uh, I've been meaning to bring this up or tell you this story. Uh, my aunt was down at Randy's shop one day and she was frustrated with her granddaughter who's a teenager Okay. and everything was going on and just, she was just frustrated. And she said, well, you got kids, don't you? She said, yeah. How old? And he, he mentioned Quentin's age. I guess Quentin was 18. At the time, he's 18, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it was summer. She goes, well, then you understand, blah, blah, blah. Where's, what's he doing? How's he? He said, he's in there working. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> he's not going to empathize with you because he kind of believes that your kids are your own fault. Uh, <laughs> Quentin's in there. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I get what you're true. saying. Yeah, and we, it is, it is true. I mean, to to an extent, yeah. your kids are your own fault, right? And and I know that like we parent differently, or we just live our lives differently than what the mainstream is for today, or what they consider normal for today. Um, we, you know, just Randy and I are just very traditional. Not, I'm consider myself the ultimate feminist. I do exactly what I want to do and I don't do what I want to do. I'm the spiritual leader of our house. <clears throat> it's not that Randy's not, you know, Christian or anything at all, but if we relied on dad to make sure the family went to church, it just wasn't <laughs> happening. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not going to happen because his focus is on, you know, f- taking care of the family and, and just in the, the fundamental way of like making sure we have a roof over our head, food on the table, um, that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's like, that's his defined role is caring for his family in that way. My defined role is the nurturing part of it, making sure that the house is a home. Everybody's got clean clothes. The kids are educated and, you know, we go to church on Sunday, um, put a foot up somebody's rear end when it needs to be. And if that doesn't work, then you call him reinforcement, which is just dad. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we, we laugh because back when, when we were in Colorado, when he came home to work, he would always say, if I have to come in here, because I hear your mother yelling at you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know, so we're, yeah, we're very much, you know, in, in that regard. It's kind of like, I don't know what you did, but I don't want to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's going to, one of you did something, because I'm tired of listening to this. Right. It is. It's very much, and, and my kids, they are all, we, we value their opinions, and they are all very individual, and we want them to thrive, and we, like, we love our it's so much fun. We were just talking about it. it's so much fun having teenagers. Absolutely love it. I did too. I, I loved every phase of it, uh, even the empty nester phase, mm-hmm. which was a transition. I don't know if you'll ever go through that. Because uh, right. by the time you're going through empty nester, you'll probably have grandchildren Hopefully, in the yeah. home and stuff. So you'll probably <laughs> never go through the empty nester like I did. It's it's a tough transition. I was also mm-hmm. going through a divorce at the time, so I'm you know going through empty a lot nester. Going on. Uh, a career change that was of no, uh, just because of the economy at the time and everything was changing, uh, losing my marriage. I had a lot going on. But even the empty nester phase, I enjoy it. But when I flew up to the Northwest here a while back and hung out with my kids, you know, here they are adults. Mm-hmm. And one's married, one's dating. And just 
hanging out with my adult children mm -hmm. was a totally different dynamic than hanging out with my teenage children, than hanging yeah. out with my preteen children, than hanging out with my, you know, preschool children. And I love every bit of it. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, even like people's like, oh, the terrible twos. We didn't experience that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, maybe the fearsome fours. <laughs> I had some of that. But um, I also think that was part, my daughter had been an only child. And then here comes Levi. Right. And he's completely different. She was the little girl that could sit in the corner with her Polly Pockets and ribbons and books and and not him. Right. <laughs> he's climbing something. He's jumping off something. <laughs> he's tackling something. And that to her, that was like... The mm. ultimate irritation. <laughs> the ultimate irritation. But those two, you see those two together and they're just, they're tight. Mm -hmm. And they're tight. I mean, they don't hang out a lot, but when you see them together, they're, they're right. golden. Yeah. And, and like what you said is absolutely true. We have, um, we're enjoying all the different phases. We kind of have to. Well, and, and, and I feel blessed just because we're getting it all at once. I, George, you know, I mean, my goodness, he's just like this cuddly little teddy bear. Uh, Randy was squishing on him just the other night and said, you know, oh, stay this size. Right. You know, because he's just so cute and squishy and fat and sweet. Um, it, it, the but then he's over years. there with Quentin right. turning a wrench together and he's like, right. oh, stay right here. Right. You know, and, and everywhere in between. And it's it's fun and, fr fun and frustrating. And like he says, that they're they're either making you mad or making you laugh. You know, um, we've had the terrible fours, the terrible twos. Some, we have sometimes going on at the same time. Yeah. Josie and Opal right now, Opal's too. She's screaming and growling about everything and getting in trouble for it on a regular basis. Whereas Josie turned four and she used to be really, really sweet. Now she's <laughs> something happened, like a switch flipped. And so we're, we're trying to train her back around, <laughs> you know, but, uh, it's, it, it's all good. I mean, we're a very free and fun loving family, very opinionated. Um, the kids always know that they can, um, express their opinions and their thoughts. They just had to be respectful. Um, we, we have lines that we just don't cross, you right. know, um, and like with, as far as parenting goes, you know, and Quentin it being 18, he's graduated and it's been a tough summer as far as with growing, um, with him growing pains, you know, he's ready to spread his wings and fly. And yet at the same time, he's not ready to spread his wings and fly. So he's in this horrible place in his life that he can't see out of that. We've been there and we can come back and see, um, well, see, that's why I think that either college or the military, or is sometimes a good transition mm -hmm. because although you're on your own, mm -hmm. you're really not on your own right. and you've got these safety nets there to help guide you. Mm -hmm. um, a young man that I knew in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, if you, if you were to meet him two years ago, you'd be like, Oh God, <laughs> this kid's going nowhere. This kid. <laughs> the failure to launch. <laughs> yeah. This kid is just going to, he's going to be in the basement or the garage or in his car he joins the military. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a lot of people saying, oh, he's never going to make it. And me, knowing the military, I know it, it really comes down to you and your mindset. Mm -hmm. And if he goes in there with this lackadaisical mindset that he's got and this disrespectful mindset toward authority that he's got, he's going to have a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. But he may go in there and find out, you know, I better get my act together because I'm getting his foot up my hind end, like you say. And all of a sudden he gets his act together. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what he did. And right. this is a completely different man now. Right. Completely different guy. 
And um, <clears throat> so, but he he has that guidance and that right there. So I think with Quentin mm-hmm. starting college mm-hmm. and being able to do those things, finding that freedom, yeah, but still got that guidance over here it'll be good for him it'll exactly. be a good transition it, it is and and with him he's so ambitious he he's ready to have you know he wants to do it all he wants to help with the business he wants to you know get out there on his own and do everything and so he's just in this frustrating place for himself where if he you know he could have his own place and be on his own he would he's just kind of he's not quite ready like even financially we're just you know like we just bear with us it's just a short amount of time you know, but just remember, you're 18. I don't have to let you live here anymore. That's right. <laughs> I don't have to feed you legally anymore, okay? So. <laughs> this is out of the kindness of my heart. Well, that's That was one of the things that when my kids, I don't know how young your kids were or what age, if you have a certain rule on when you allow them to have cell phones. And cell phones weren't as prevalent with my kids mm-hmm. when they were coming up. They were just coming around. And so I was getting my kids cell phones, <clears throat> And uh, I got frustrated one day because I'm texting or calling. I'm not getting responses. Mm-hmm. So I basically set them down when we got home and said, let me let me make something abundantly clear. <laughs> yes. That phone is for my convenience, right. not yours. Not yours. Now, when you start paying for that phone, we can have a different discussion. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I mean, there was a couple of things where I had to prove that it was for my convenience and not theirs. But after that, if I call or text, I, I get a response. Right. I get if you're at school, but as soon as you get a chance, you get mm-hmm. back to me. Right. Now, the moment, pretty much, they started paying for their own cell phones, I don't get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I will right. text my kids. <laughs> I will call them. I'll get voicemail. My son, the other day, um, uh, a few months ago, him and his mom and her husband we're in a car car wreck on I-5. Oh. And obviously they didn't call me. I'm 3,000 miles away. And so he calls his sister and leaves a voicemail. She calls back the next day and says, hey, do you guys still need help? <laughs> He's like, that was 24 hours ago. <laughs> we're in a wreck on the side of I-5. You're getting back in touch with me 24 <laughs> hours later. <laughs> but that really happened. Um, but he's the same way now. What I have learned, if I want to talk to my daughter or my son, I text their significant other. So, oh, right. <laughs> well, the morning my dad died, uh-huh. um, I texted my son-in-law. He he works midnights, and he, he was probably, I didn't know if he was at work or at home, but I texted mm-hmm. him, hey, when you get a chance, I need you to call me. Mm-hmm. If I'd have sent that to my daughter, she'd probably woke up. Got it. Let's get some coffee. Let's relax. I'm going to do some yoga. Okay, I'll see what's up with that. Yeah. Angelo got in touch with me right away. Um, I did call Levi directly. He answered. Well, no, I texted him, uh, but I also got in touch with his mother. She got back in touch with me uh, before Levi did. I told her because I wanted her to be there for the kids. And plus, you know, it was her father-in-law mm-hmm. for 20-something years. Um so I want to let her know. And, and people found that weird that I contacted my ex-wife. I don't think so. I, and there were some people that found that weird. And I'm just, why? But I mean, I guess it's it's good that you have a, uh, an amicable relationship with her that you can do that. I, I mean, at I least, put a at lot least of work to into scent, that. You know, to that point. No, um, I put a lot of work yeah. into that. My son's uh, girlfriend, when we were up there, when I was up there, uh, my son-in-law and daughter had a cookout. They invited her 
his mom and uh, dad and, and aunt had come down from, was it Kelso? Well, I'm, I'm asking you like you know. <laughs> but they'd come down from, uh, from... Yeah, it was Kelso. <laughs> yeah. They'd come down from... Well, it's, it's the road you take to get to uh, Mount St. Helens. But they'd come down from there to visit for the barbecue. It was one of my last nights there. Uh, my ex-wife and her husband came over, and, and we just all had a big barbecue and, and laugh, and I had some drinks, and and people found that weird that we just do that. And then that my son's girlfriend mentioned to me, she said, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see how well you guys got along. I mean, there was no tension there. Mm -hmm. It was just like, everybody was okay. And I told her, I said, I put a lot of work into that. Um, we, it wasn't pretty and I wasn't the best uh, ex-husband and I wasn't the best person to divorce. (laughs) I just wasn't. And I'm not saying that she was or wasn't. I'm just saying me, I'm very ashamed of who I was going through that. Um, But I quickly come to the realization that I have a future with this woman, whether I like it or not. You share kids. We share kids. We're going to share grandkids. It's not like she just went away. Mm -hmm. We have a future going forward, and I can either do my best to make this the best future going forward or I could just stay in this tension where we're, you know, we're going to graduation or we're going to weddings and okay, you're over here, you're over here. Let's don't talk. I didn't want right. that. I don't want that tension for my children. Yeah. Cause it's, it makes their lives miserable. Right. It may, when everybody's having to walk around eggshells and, mm-hmm. and I don't, I didn't want that. So I've put a lot of work in over the years to where her and I can have a, 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 a decent, relationship and it's to the point now that we don't argue anymore used to we would say stuff to bait each other right you know we'd text each other and just things to bait each other to get into an argument or just try to upset the other person and now when um i feel like i've said something that maybe she she's taken that way i'm, I'm very quick to say whoa i didn't mean that mm-hmm. and i try to explain myself i don't i don't over explain myself i don't overly apologize for things i didn't do but we you know, we've had that conversation, and and I and I've also found out that not not every woman I've gone out with, but some women find it maybe intimidating that her and I communicate as much oh, as we do. Okay, yeah. And um, I'm like, I don't know why you find it intimidating. She's three thousand miles away and married. <laughs> <laughs> right, probably just threatening in the sense that you, they think that maybe you 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 might be on the path to to getting back together. Right, so or maybe you still secretly love her, or maybe, sure. um, and well, because people, um, people can be threatened, as I guess you could say, or jealous of, um, of a relationship they have with somebody who um, their partner is deceased. Right. I mean, there there is such a thing to that where you can say you're jealous of somebody's ghost. Right, or you're still in love with them, and uh-huh. I wish you, and I think somebody is. I wish they loved me like you, or, or or they want all their love. I don't know, but, uh, and her and I were talking about this. And I said, you know, I just have to tell him, look, if that's a problem, then you need to go now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to cut off this that I've worked so hard to build. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's just, I don't know what got me on that tangent, but I'm on that tangent. That's all right. <laughs> it's, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. <laughs> that's right. I it's my party. That's right. <laughs> Have you ever been on a podcast? No, actually, I've never been. Have you enjoyed it? Yes. 
good, good. Uh, I always have people who, uh, don't, what are we going to talk about? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's just wherever the conversation. I listen to talk radio every day. Um, it, actually, and the kids by default end up listening to talk radio every day too. <laughs> so I'm very familiar with talk radio. Um, but no, I've never been a guest on on any talk radio of any kind. Do, do you subscribe to any podcast or anything? Uh-uh. Oh, you should look into it. And and I'm actually not very familiar with like social media is not something that like we just got on Facebook when we moved out here. We don't do Twitter, Instagram, anything like that. We're just, mm-hmm. we're not stuck under a rock by any means, but yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm still finding out so much of this stuff. I'm still trying to figure out how to work my cell phone half the time. So you did a live video for uh, WCMU News. You can't make <laughs> <Right>. this up. <laughs> and you couldn't make that stuff up either. WCMU News was a, a fake news organization I made up called We Can't Make This Up News. Gets resurrected every now and then. <laughs> That's right. And we started that because of Pigfoot. That's how you and I met. And for those that are not listening, if you heard the podcast, I think I've talked about it once before. Oh, in the, the first episode with Eric Morrow, because that's how I met Eric Morrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pig, a rogue pig or two, were running around downtown Athens. And next thing you know, we got this group of people hunting right. Pigfoot, <laughs> trying to catch it. And it just blew up. And it blew up at the right time because uh, city council elections was going on. Mm-hmm. A bunch of nasty stuff on Facebook was going on. And next thing you know, Eric Morrow and I, are, and you joined us, end up mm-hmm. in downtown and doing these live videos, talking about Pigfoot, and all these people are coming out to watch us talk right. about Pigfoot, <laughs> which it, is the craziest really thing. It became, I mean, in, in, in earnest, trying to catch this, um, these two potbelly pigs, well, the one, there would be sightings, the other one, nobody ever knew what happened to it, but, so, you know, in earnest, yes, trying to catch the pig, but like the mayor said, there was so many, uh, so much good that came out of it, yeah. and it, when, yes, when we moved here, um, there was... A lot of that, that city council fighting some toxic stuff that was going on. Yep. And um, I think that that being, what was it, the summer or two after that? It was the second summer after that, after we moved here. It just was a breath of fresh air. I think it brought some humor, something to talk about. Some people got really annoyed because it was taking up the town Facebook pages so much that they were like, oh, stupid pig. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, it really, I think it truly did brought humor. People from out of state were following this. I know. I had people in the Pacific Northwest, obviously, that were following it. And they're just like, I can't believe that's going on. And, of course, everybody, you had probably people in Colorado made the local that was following news. It. it. made the local <laughs> news. I think Chattanooga came up and interviewed some people about it. It, it was a big deal. I've had people come up as uh, late as this last summer when I was hosting Sounds of Summer, they would come up to me. Uh, one guy, he was running for city council at the time. Mm-hmm. He eventually withdrew his nomination, but and he withdrew it before, uh, he withdrew his candidacy, not his nomination. And he withdrew it before Pigfoot, but he was still hearing all this negativity that was going on. And he came up to me and says, I, dude, you won't know how much I appreciate you guys doing that Pigfoot thing. He said it took so much focus off the negative part of Athens mm-hmm. and help bring a lot of people together and focus around something that was innocuous as saving this pig, which eventually got ended up getting hit by a yeah. truck. Sad story. Right. And then everybody's wanting to do these, uh, I, I'm going to sound like a cold hearted SOB here. Everybody's wanting to do this uh, memorial. Yeah. There are some, yeah. Like that. And I'm just like, it's, it's a pig. <laughs> I think it was, um, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. And, um, 
And it's not that yeah, I don't I like animals. I think it was animals, that desire to try to keep the group together in a sense or to keep something going. I th- I think that had but a lot to do with it. W- the It just died off when the pig died. The moment was there and then it was gone. Right. And I was glad the moment. I was getting tired. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... Eric and I were talking about it while it was going, and I thought, we can't keep this going. Yeah. I, I don't want to keep this going. Um, if we could parlay it into something else, maybe, but not with this much energy. I mean, I'm working a right. full-time job. I have... Exactly. Well, that's how, like, we were, too. Like, we, like we, people would joke, well, uh, you know, well, the grass hasn't been mowed in a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you work in full time and then go on off a meeting and it was a blast but you know what a lot of that stuff is because it just happens organically rainy and i we we always kind of have this um this inner joke between us that it's the spontaneous things um, in life that end up being the most fun or what usually works out and a lot of times it's the stuff that's planned that doesn't um, work out so well right and i think we ended it on a good Mm-hmm. A good way to end it. We had that final night. The rescue squad mm-hmm. was there. The mayor was there. The uh, chief of police from Inglewood was there. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> the city manager. I mean, there was people there. I got to meet a lot of people that otherwise, not that I wouldn't have met them. Mm-hmm. Well, you especially because you're always out there interviewing and doing things. Right. Well, I've, I've begun doing that more and more, yeah. Uh, that's also where I got started doing the 365 things mm-hmm. was because of that because everybody's always... When I moved back here, the number one thing I always heard was, there's nothing to do around Athens. And I thought, there's more to do here than when I left in the 90s. You yeah, know? There's, I hear that too. And, or, you know, they'll, there'll be comments pop up that say, well, there's nothing here for teenagers. Well, what are you talking about? There's Dairy Barn. Have you seen the Dairy Barn when it's open? I mean, it's full of kids. And um, I, the movie theater, there's bowling. What happened to just cruising? I, I don't know. I mean, Well, they banned it. Okay, they banned it. Okay. So, so when I was in the eighties, when I was in the eighties, yeah, I was in the eighties. When I was when I was a teen, teenager in the eighties, you know where uh, Big Lots is? Mm-hmm. I think at one point there was a Walmart uh, uh, and, a, and a Kmart, but whatever it was then, we would go. All the cars would go there, and you'd see, and literally just drive around that circle. Mm-hmm. You drive, you go down past whatever that grocery store is now. You take a left. Then you take another left, and you go by McDonald's, and you take a left, and you go back up, and you go, <laughs> and then somebody be going the other direction, right? And so people would just sit there in your cars, and you just drive around this circle, and you might pull over in the middle and park, and there'd be groups of kids over there talking and laughing and hanging mm-hmm. out, and there was an arcade, I think where uh, the Chinese restaurant or maybe okay. the, maybe mm-hmm. the uh, laundromat is now. Mm-hmm. There was an arcade in there, so your kids be in there playing, you know, whatever yeah. the new arcade game was, and that's where everybody hung out. And right. you'd have cars going up and down Decatur Pike and Congress Parkway, too, but you'd eventually pull in there, and everybody just cruised. And then somebody somewhere thought it was a horrible idea to allow a bunch of kids gather at the same place and hang out, and so they, they banned it, and cops started running them off, and so they can't yeah. do it anymore. Yeah, and that happens across the country. I, yeah, come to think of it, I do th- I think, if I recall, um, that, that that's been banned in Colorado and several places too. And it, it, I mean, and I understand, I guess like if they're clogging up the streets and making it hard for people to travel, I understand that. But I think it was the, the businesses time, were like, Hey, yeah. these kids can't, you know, Kmart's not getting business, but mm-hmm. McDonald's in the, in the arcade sure was. Well, when we were growing up in our town, which was very similar in size to, to Athens now. Um, in fact, it it's actually was a lot smaller in the sense it didn't have nearly the amount of businesses, mm-hmm. but, um, We'd all hang out at the Burger King. 
you know, like maybe after Friday night football, there's or the bigger the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Go go over and and hang out and um, you know and just have fun, sit around, talk. A lot of kids would go down to the pool hall. Um, I didn't do that, but I, I know my sister did. And a lot of other kids would go, and so or else you'd hear somebody's having a party out in the cornfield at so and so farmer's house, you know. And so, like one time, I went out there with a girlfriend, and you know, we're in our cheerleading uniforms. Don't get caught. <laughs> If you get caught in your football and cheerleading uniforms, you're going to get kicked off the team, you know, kind of a thing. But you're, you know, and, and there's nothing going on, at least nothing. Now, I don't want to say, like, I'm sure that somewhere, you're someplace. You're sure somebody, somebody had something going on, but nothing right. with you, nothing illicit. And it was, yeah, it was not in your face, at least. So, and of course, I understand, like, Randy always tells me, well, you're, you're naive. You don't, there's a lot of things happening that you don't see because you're not looking for it. And that's true. That, that is true. But, you know, I, I never saw anything. We all pull out there, pick up trucks and cars, and kids are just talking. And you got, you know, um, either country music or else it was like Aerosmith or Def Leppard and stuff, right, right? right? Lights are on, and you're in a cornfield, and you're just hanging out, and you're talking. And there might be multiple conversations happening at once. But, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's not that there weren't things happening. I didn't see it. Um, I wasn't a part of it. But, I mean, you know, good, clean fun. Well, I uh, spoke to the city manager last night. And ask him if he'd be on the podcast. So maybe I'll ask him about over right now getting rid of that ordinance at Vans. Vans cruising. I've actually thought about doing a uh, seeing if I can get a permit mm-hmm. and um, putting together just an old school cruising and see if all my guys from the 80s and 90s and stuff will all get together and just, <laughs> just go out there. Cruise. Get some Jackson Brown playing. <laughs> right. I thought maybe I can get like a couple of artists set up a stage have mm-hmm. some music playing people can just drive around and cruise no you know nothing i don't get too structured because it wasn't structured that was well the that's just it. it it's a spontaneous kind of those things that are kind of organically just sprung up that's that's the stuff that makes it fun if when you're trying to plan that out and structure it and have it be like again like a chess piece that's what takes away a lot of that fun of see and that's what i tell like a uh, it took me forever to get this into my mom's head and uh, or other mothers' mm-hmm. heads when their daughters are getting married, or even girls getting married. Now, my daughter, she's got my mentality. <laughs> my mom wanted everything, and her mother-in-law, my daughter's future mother-in-law, and I don't know about my wife. I don't know how involved she was in the planning of this wedding, but uh, they wanted everything planned down to the minute. Mm-hmm. Everything's got to be perfect. This has to be there. This has to be there. This has to be there. And my daughter was like, yeah, we're we're going to be there. We're going to get married around four. Around four. <laughs> yeah, the wedding's going to start around four. We're going to do this. And, you know, they mom just had this grand idea of this southern wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, just beautiful and everything planned, everything in its place, certain glasses and dishes. Kaylin Angelo order a pe- uh, pizza food truck. <laughs> so there's a pizza food truck. <laughs> parked at the property that was the wedding meal right they had uh beer kegs and a bunch of stuff over here and random cakes and and what's funny is that it's like looking back now i can and i don't regret my wedding at all but as you age like if i was to replan my wedding now the way i am i would have it a different time of year maybe you know try different things have a different type of wedding cake it's funny though i mean i was kind of like that i was more um like my mom and she even just now she's um, God love her, and she's she's gonna hear this because I'm sure she'll want to listen to this podcast. And 
Um, Mom, I'm not picking on you. Just <laughs> full disclosure, disclaimer, this is not... I'm just being honest. <laughs> and she, like she was just saying, I've she's starting to learn to um, in herself to maybe let go a little bit about some of the, the detail planning, like when it comes to holidays or just anything like that. The, whereas like with me, um, for my wedding, it was, well, what flowers do you want? Your, your um, aunt, she's like an aunt to me because she's my mother's friend since junior high. She's making my flowers and she's a florist by, you know, her, that's her craft and stuff. And so she's going to make my flowers and well, what do you want? Surprise me. Yeah. I, I, what, what colors do you have? I don't really have colors. Uh, multi, yeah. <laughs> like it's multi a color, you color know, surprise me. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, another aunt, she said, well, I found this thing at Michael's and I, I really want to make these centerpieces for you. And, you know, does it, and I was like, yeah, go for it. Surprise me. And so, and I kind of planned my, my like wedding as far as making sure, um, you had a minister. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Well, just like the timing of getting down the aisle, you know, <laughs> right. like, okay, bridesmaid walked down to the music at this time, bridesmaid too. And it's kind of funny. Cause then afterwards, um, for, for a while at, at our church that we were, um, our Lutheran church in town, I was a wedding coordinator for a few years, but, um, boy, you can get a lot of stories with that too. Well, and, like, I just did this wedding up in Tacoma. My cousin got married, so that's the reason I flew to the Pacific Northwest, and then I stayed and visited my kids for a little bit. But the bride uh, and I were talking, and she was asking about all these details, and we were going over the details of it. And I said, okay, now, listen. You've got all these details planned. Not everything's going to happen the way you want, but it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're, I want you to focus on the memory of the day not the memory that this person was like 10 seconds late, mm-hmm. you know, right. or the flower kid waited to the last minute to dump all the flowers, mm-hmm. you know, just enjoy the moment. And that's the way my daughter's wedding was. And she just went into it with a very much, Hey, right. we're gonna get married around four. Cause that's what, that's what really matters. And if you get too hung up, there's, like I said, I mean, there's some stories. I mean, there are some rip on fights. At one time, I had to threaten to call the police. And, <laughs> I, you know, and it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't. And families just get so upset. But this is what, and this is what I try to tell young families with their, when it comes to the holidays and Christmas or even vacations. Mm-hmm. Focus on creating the memory. Don't focus on the details. Don't focus on, okay, I got to get them this gift. Or uh-huh. we've got to be at my mom's at this time, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do that. Don't focus on that. It just adds stress. It just tension. adds stress. And if you, and what I always encourage them to do is think back to your favorite Christmas memory. And I'll usually have them tell it to me. And I'll say, okay, that had nothing to do with the gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that had nothing to do with, it was a memory. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to focus on. And that's what we try to do with my children. Now, I know there's a guy at, uh, at work, he was telling me, him and his wife, they try to do both families at Christmas. You know, you gotta go here. My mom's got this that she has to have done every Christmas. Then we go over here and we gotta do this every Christmas. And I said, dude, you're married. Create your mm-hmm. own traditions. Mm-hmm. Create your own memories. They said, because here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have a grandbaby. Well, not you're gonna have a grandbaby. You're gonna have a baby. Mm-hmm. And then now you've just had a whole new dynamic that they're all gonna have these demands on you mm-hmm. and it's just gonna make stress for you you got to do what I did is I just finally, the wife and I just finally went to our parents and said, look, Christmas day is ours. Right. It's ours. If we get a chance to get over there, we will. 
and you're welcome to come over here, but Christmas Day is ours. Mm-hmm. And I I was not going to stress about it. Well, that forced them to rearrange their schedules or to rearrange their tra- traditions. But this was our tradition. I always had to wake my kids up on Christmas morning. We did too. Isn't it weird? <laughs> we're not, we, we're we're night owls. Um, our family we we have some kids. Well, they will wake up earlier in the mornings. But just in general, we tend to be more night owls and then um, sleep in later. So, like, you might say, oh, well, 8 o'clock, are you kidding me? That half the day's gone. Yeah, well, not when you've been up till like, 2.30 or 3 in the morning right. the night before. <laughs> That's so, right. But, yeah, it's it's true. I mean, we'll, we'll be like, okay, well, the coffee started. The kids, the Santa Claus stuff is still out here. <laughs> Better go wake them up. <laughs> we always had to as well. And uh, the wife and I always found that weird because we were always like, you know, just can't wait to wake up on Christmas morning. But my kids are like, oh. Oh, you can wake them up. Okay, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> like, it's Christmas morning, you dummy. Well, it's true. Like one time my father, when I was a kid, he set up the um, video recorder on the big tripod. And this is back when, you know, the it was huge. The, the cameras are like like a, like a TV cameraman camera. But he had it all set up in the living room, pointed toward the Christmas tree and the stuff. And I guess he, I don't know when he did the night after we went to bed or he got set the alarm to, to start recording at some point hours and hours and hours of recording of nothing but the tree <laughs> because we ended up sleeping in on Christmas morning and it was just hours of videotape of just nothing but the tree. <laughs> Somebody sitting there just drinking a cup of coffee, watching a tree. <laughs> you know, he wanted to record that moment when we got up and saw whatever it was that we got that year for Christmas. And, it just, the, the tape ran out and there was nothing, you know, but the tree. <laughs> so. Well, it's been two hours. How's that? That's amazing. It goes by that quick. I know. A lot of people don't understand it. As uh, One of the gals I got coming up on the podcast is a girl I went to high school with. And um, she says, I, I'm not that interesting. Uh, what are we going to talk about? I said, it's been 30 years. I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. <laughs> we'll find something to talk about. Well, this has been a real lesson for me. I mean, uh I, although I was somewhat familiar with homeschool, you really opened up my eyes to a lot. And I hope there's some people out there who are, who are maybe deciding if they want to get in touch with you and have questions, they just find you. I'll, I'll link to you in the, in this, but they can just mm-hmm. get in touch with you via Facebook. Oh, sure. Yes. And yeah, I mean, I'm happy to help anybody who, um, you know, who has questions. There's every day on Facebook, we see there's uh, families, people posting, I just pulled my kids out of public school. We can't do this anymore. I'm starting homeschool next week. What do mm-hmm. we do? <laughs> well, well, one thing I found is um, uh, even the public schools have study at home programs now. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. And I, and although I guess in one sense you can say, well, that's not homeschooling, but it really is. You still have to be there. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure your kid's doing this lesson. You you have to instill some discipline in this yeah. child. I I think in some ways it's probably requires more discipline. Yeah, there's um now there's uh homeschool parents that traditional homeschool parents um or you know people like it, where it's a lifestyle. Like homeschooling is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Have very strong feelings about that. A lot of it has to do with just the is still government overreach or school overreach or the curriculum. Into, or... Uh-huh, because they're still and they're still getting the price for people on that. Um, but yes, again, if it's something where this is what I don't want to be responsible for my child's education, like wholly responsible for it, I don't feel comfortable picking the curriculum. I don't feel comfortable without having the teacher there, but yet 
maybe you know they but need to I don't be at want home. my kid in this environment right for for whatever reason multiple well, the, multitude of reasons the young man that I know that's doing it in Washington right now it has nothing to do with his mother's view of mm-hmm. the school environment or anything like that it's just that he wasn't thriving he mm-hmm. wasn't doing well in that in that situation he was he was constantly getting mixed in or pulled into these groups of kids he shouldn't be right. mixed in and pulled into he just was not thriving. He wasn't getting up. He wasn't going to school. He wasn't doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're and if you don't want to take the risk, this is not gonna sound negative, and I don't mean it to. If you're not comfortable or you don't desire to be fully 100% responsible for your children's education, and that is a life change, then that is a good alternative for you. If you don't want them there in the classroom or you know dealing with whatever it is that that's going on. Um, like, and you may uh, not have the funds of, to put them in a private right. school. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another reason why we did is because we just, you know, don't have the money to do that, even if we wanted to. But it, it's a lifestyle. Homeschooling in itself is a lifestyle. Right. And it, because it encompasses, it's the whole family is shaped by it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, and it is, it changes just how when a lot of folks now coming in, um, they're using it as an alternative for school. Again, there's a lot of really strong feelings about that um, with homeschool, f- traditional homeschool families have been in this for, you know, for years and years or generational homeschoolers because it's, um, I guess, like I said, diluting uh, some of that, some of um, the way that it's always been. On the other hand, I say, well, you have more parents at home now because there has to be somebody at home teaching these children. Right. And I'm a big believer in having a parent at home. Well, and I am too. And I ended up with a parent at home uh, by default because we couldn't afford childcare. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived right next to an elementary school. And as soon as the elementary school teachers found out that she was at home, next thing you know, she, hey, can you watch my kids? <laughs> and so she's earning more money if you count the money we're saving from childcare mm-hmm. and then the money she's making off of that. And the beauty behind it was that she had the same schedule as the school. Uh-huh. So when, you know, the kids were out for spring break, she was off for spring break. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. She loved that. And one of the things that she said, told me one time, she said, because somebody said, how do you deal with that many kids that you're watching during the day? Mm-hmm. She said, it's a lot easier to watch four or five kids than it is to watch two. Yeah, yeah, I know. I get that. I get that too. Like, how can you, you know, how do you deal with it? How do you teach multiple grades? How do you do this? Well, one, we're, we, we're very, very big on being consistently with um, consistency and routine and structure and schedule, but not, not to the point of like, it's going to strangle you, but yes, but to the point that it helps to make things flow. But actually it's like adding an ingredient to the pot. The more we have it, it's, it doesn't actually make it harder. It's In a lot of ways, it makes it easier. That's what she said. It makes it a lot easier because they're all watching out for each other. They're entertaining mm-hmm. each other. They, She yeah. loved doing it. Um, she would have had she would have had multiple children mm-hmm. if uh, I'd have been on board. I wasn't, but that's a discussion for another time. But I'm actually, if I have an author coming on here uh, shortly, we're just trying to schedule some time. I'll tell that story then as to why I'm became not on board with having multiple kids but um thank you and if they want to get in touch with you just look it up on facebook like i said i'm gonna tag you on here uh again i'm not randy's not a paid advertiser i don't have a paid (laughs) advertiser but if you're in athens you're looking for a good auto mechanic i highly recommend 
stopping Thank down you. there. Um, and they're open from 8-ish to 5-ish. 8-ish to 5-ish. <laughs> and our new sign says something to the effect of it's um, fast service as long as it takes. As long as <laughs> See, that's the thing I love about Randy. You just get this dry sense of humor. You'll be sitting there talking to him, and then all of a sudden you're like, he said something pretty funny. <laughs> that was really funny. Now, what are you guys going to do today, rest of your day? Well, oh, well, we're remodeling. We're Our house is a is a big remodel project, but we, we need to take a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house and create four bedrooms. And so, because um, the baby's to the point where he's going to have to go into a crib soon, and we don't have a place to put him except for the laundry room. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. we, Stick him um, in the dryer, just leave the door yes. open. So we are to that point where we're um, closing up windows, opening windows, uh, re- do redoing floors, getting a bathroom. So that's that's what we're working on. Well, I'm really struggling. I don't know what I'm going to do today. I, one, I want to get a pedicure. I walk around steel-toed shoes all the time. And, and for you guys out there that are like, well, you getting a pedicure? Dude, try it out. Just try it out. You'll thank me. Um, there's the 411 yard sale. Okay. Going on right now. I don't know if you know anything about that, but mm-hmm. annually this time of the year, there's just people all up and down 411. They do a yard sale down there, and you just drive up and down, and it's just all the way down. I don't know how far it goes. I think it's multiple states. Wow. And then there's um, the Arts and Crafts Festival in downtown Etowah. That's going on. And it's like you said, there's so much to do around here. If people would just get out of their daily routine uh-huh. and just go explore. I mean, whether it's the Eureka Trail, whether it's right here behind the library that we're at, this little uh, wetlands project, right. just go walk through there. It's absolutely serene and beautiful. Uh, to festivals, I mean, I think last weekend was the Muscadine Festival. There was so much going yeah, on last weekend. Yeah, there's stuff going on. And like down Chattanooga this week, we're going to the Shriners Circus. Oh, wow. Loved it. They When we, they were in Denver, we absolutely loved it. Um, they were much more affordable than Barnum and Bailey, but of course, that's been ran out, you know, because can't hurt the animals and stuff. <laughs> that's another topic yeah, they for another had, time. Another <laughs> like, not going to go there, but, you know, well, the what, Shriners do What made me sad circus. was I always, and I haven't thought about the Shriners, I always wanted to be a ringleader. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, the Shriners are down there at Camp Jordan Arena down Chattanooga this week, and we're going to go because they do a wonderful circus, and it's very affordable for families. Well, that'd be good. All right, well, thank you. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Well, there you have it. Kelly Kaus, right? Seven kids, homeschooler, stay-at-home mom. They have a business that they're running. You talk about a family that is busy and on the move. That's them. Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you uh, will go and like it. Be sure to subscribe in your podcast player. That way you'll get a notification every time there's a new one. Also, leave me a comment. If you know somebody out there, maybe an author or someone that's out there that you think would be great to sit down and just do a live face-to-face conversation, conversation, can you tell my voice is tired? If you know someone who'd be willing to just sit down and do a live conversation, I would love to just sit down and meet them. I'm currently trying to schedule a couple more, um, uh, an attorney that I've got coming up. He's going to be great. We're going to sit down and record that on the 20th. He's also writing a book. And on top of that, which is weird, I know, this is weird, he's funny. I mean, this guy is extremely funny, so I can't wait to sit down and share that episode with you. All right, my friends, peace, have fun, be good to one another.